Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw. It's a basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. I love it how we always give our names twice. Like maybe that's sort of a, a podcast faux pas. What I really need is like a, a podcast to do a power ranking breakdown of all the basketball podcast intros and have them like drag us for that. Like, you know, it's a good intro, but, but these guys always say their names twice and that's completely unnecessary. So we're docking them points for redundancy. I mean, first impressions um, matter. That's yeah. the first thing you hear. Yeah. So anyone who has already tuned out, you're already you're, you're missing everything else because we said our names twice. And I'm sorry about that. You know, leave, leave a comment, ask us to stop doing that if that's really what's turning you off. And we'll we'll try to change up our games to, to, to you know, give the people what they want and yep. avoid giving the people what they don't want. What are we going to talk about, Simon? There's no NBA basketball. How do you record a podcast about NBA basketball when there's no basketball being played? Well, there's no basketball being played, but there's a whole lot of things that are relevant to basketball happening. I mean, we, we're kind of just coming out of like the craziness of free agency. And before that, we had the draft. So teams have really shaken things up. So we're going to talk about some of the things that we just have noticed this offseason, things that we like, we don't like. In the future, we're actually going to get into like once some of these moves are more settled, hopefully once some trades have happened, imminent yeah. trades, then we'll get into like actual team previews and what we think of their, you know, odds this upcoming season. But yeah. for now, we're just going to kind of bounce around, you know, the offseason draft free agency, how these teams are shaping out, what we see as some positives, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I guess we can just start by, I'll just ask you, what was your, I don't know, we, we're coming out of free agency. That was the most recent thing that happened. What was your biggest, like, you know, takeaway from free agency? What was the the thing that happened that intrigued you the most? I thought that lots of teams showed a lot of maturity so far this offseason. You know, we're so used to like the Lakers and the Knicks and plenty of other teams just kind of going into star hunting mode and just kind of decimating their futures or their presence or their team fit just because like a star becomes available. And so something that's really stood out for me this offseason and was kind of like it was a, it was a trend that was happening during the season, especially with like the Knicks and Lakers, both kind of like trying to build actual basketball teams that fit together. And I was like, look, they're doing it. They're doing this thing that their fan bases have kind of been begging them to do for like a decade. I'm yep. like, but maybe they'll both just like completely ruin that this offseason and do something insane. And neither of those teams have done that. And I don't feel too many teams have gone this route. So in terms of big trends, that's kind of like, that's an encouraging one. It's like front office maturity. Not saying I agree with every single move that's been made, but like we're seeing, we're seeing there are a lot of them are at least kind of like come from a, a reasonable frame of mind. Yeah. I guess the one exception to that is the Phoenix Suns, right? Cause they made mm-hmm. the, the big splashy trade for Bradley Beal. And they ended up trading away a lot more than we thought. I mean, I'm looking at the trade here. It looks like a total of six second round picks as well as four first round swaps, you know? So no, no actual picks, no actual first round picks going out in that deal, but like still potentially quite a lot in terms of like value that you're giving up for your third star in the roster and a guy who, you know, at least temporarily decimated their depth and they've, they've been able to recover some of that during this off season. 
I think with Phoenix, because the Bradley Beal trade came so early amidst all the transactions, people have already got that analysis out of the way and have shifted to celebrating Phoenix for the cheap depth signings that they've been Uh able to make. And I do think that the guys that they've brought in, there's a lot of opportunity that some of those guys pop and become really meaningful rotation players. I think obviously the main thing that matters with the only thing that matters with Phoenix with any of these pickups is some number of those players becoming viable playoff rotation players and really nothing else matters. If some of these guys are just sort of good at helping them tread water in the regular season, I just don't think that that for a team, this all in the only thing that matters is like, is Utah Wantanabe going to be like able to play 22 minutes consistently against multiple teams in the playoffs kind of like, that's more the thinking I think with Phoenix. They probably need one of their two backup bigs they signed, Shmezi Matu and Drew Eubanks. One of those two guys needs to be capable enough to give them, you know, 15 minutes a night or something. And then they need, they really need a couple of wings. I mean, they have Booker still and they have Beal. So the guard rotation is is pretty solid, I would say. But they need a wing who can like start and give you heavy minutes. Like they need the Tory Craig from last year who is no longer a son, <laughs> but you know, they need a guy like that. So maybe it's Utah Watanabe, maybe, maybe it's Keita Bates Diop, and they signed a couple other guys, Eric Gordon as well, who you know could could potentially give give them you know that role that they need, but none of those guys are sure things. Like a lot of I saw a lot of discourse online about Keita Bates Diop and how he had a pretty nice season with the Suns. He was a solid three-point shooter for the, the first time in his career last year, even though it was on very low volume. And, you know, he's a big wing and relatively versatile on offense. So, with I mean, the Spurs, with the Spurs last year, with the Spurs last year, yeah. but like, you know, it's on a tanking team and it's not in the context of like a playoff environment. So like you, you never know completely whether that's going to translate or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that like beggars can't be choosers. So I, and I think in that contact, like with how little, with the fact that they're just like, they have no money to really offer anyone. I do think that the kinds of players they went after mm-hmm. were were all smart choices. Like I, there's totally a world in which Kata Bates Diop pops. Like he's there's a lot of a lot of potential in there. Like exactly it's a great signing for the veterans minimum. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. not gonna do and much say, better. Yeah. And if Utah can hit shots any like he did last year, that's also a perfect place. Even if he's not like even if the shooting doesn't hold quite like it did last year, which I don't think is really possible. He shot like a he shot over a hundred percent on corner threes last year. He he shot a hundred and twenty percent on corner threes. But he's a really he's he's smart. He's hustly. He's really mobile. He can guard multiple positions. Like I think I, he's maybe my favorite signing mm-hmm. by them this off season. Which I think you know a lot of people would would be like, well, what about Eric Gordon? But I think you've got some Eric Gordon thoughts you can maybe jump in with here. Yeah, Eric Gordon was really bad on the Clippers last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like I, I unfortunately watched pretty much that entire first round series between the Clippers and the Suns. It's like, I don't know why, just events lined up where I was free to watch basketball when all those games were happening. I'm, so, I'm so sorry to hear that. I got to see a decent amount of Eric Gordon mm-hmm. and a decent amount of, of Russell Westbrook. And like people are praising these players and a decent amount of Nick Batum. But like all those Clippers role guys, for the most part, just like really, really struggled. And, you know, it could have been a, a system wide thing. It could have been a team chemistry thing. Like, I don't know, like these things happen where a team is just like really down in the dumps for whatever reason. And people aren't really playing well and they can bounce back. But I guess with Eric Gordon, there are definitely some like mobility issues. Some like 
he he was having to rely on some pretty deep pull-up threes to just get an open shot off because he kind of has that low release and he's not super tall. And when you start to lose a little bit of quickness, I think that all adds up to to you know declines in in someone's game. So I'm not hugely jazzed about the Eric Gordon signing, but like yeah, the other two wings that they signed are, are I think more promising when it comes to like a playoff rotation player. I think with a Eric Gordon and this type of player, when you're you're a really good veteran that has been stuck on a bad team for for years. I think for a lot of NBA media and fans in their minds, they like put that player on ice and think, okay, now I'm taking that player out of the freezer yeah. and I'm getting 31 um, year old Eric Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, I saw him in the, in the playoffs, like, you know, back in 2020 and he was like, you know, still capable of giving you 17 points per game and shooting some threes and having a bit of defensive versatility because he had like, you know, not great foot speed for a guard back then, but he was so he's so strong and wide that he can guard those, up. Yeah, really he's well. really long arms too. Yeah. Houston back in the day had that like kind of one of the sneaky things that was special about that team was just like how thick and strong they were between Harden, Gordon, and PJ Tucker. And when they employed that switching offense, it was just really hard to get anything in traditional ways against that team. But that was like, that's a long time ago. Yeah, you're right. Like Gordon was 31 years old. And sometimes when you put something in the freezer and think it's just going to be fresh when you take it out, like six months later or there's several some, years later. There's some freezer burn on there. Yeah. And Gordon clearly showed in that Clippers series that like he can't scale up and he, like he got big minutes in the playoffs. He played like he played 30 minutes a game yeah. and was not able to contribute offensively or defensively. Like I think if he's like, you know, if his role is scaled down to spot up three point shooter, who isn't a complete total have to hide me on defense. I think that that's a possibility, but I think that represents the high end of what you get for Eric Gordon in his age 35 season. Like, and I, I love, I love Eric Gordon. I think it's like, I love the bounce back of his career after all those like early injuries. He looked like yeah. he was going to be one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. And then he kind of, you know, all those injuries happened in started with the Clippers and then kind of kept going through new Orleans. Then he kind of quietly bounced back as like, I can give you sneaky, like, star level offensive production in a, in a only slightly reduced role. But yeah, again, that's a long time ago. He's 35. And when you're count, when you're excited about a 35 year old, like, you know, ask, ask Philly, how they, how they felt about, you know, PJ Tucker last year. Like it happens every off season. We're like, Oh, this big name is going to change things for a contender. It's like, they might, but don't count on it. Yeah, but I think ultimately with the Suns, like when they initially traded for Bradley Beal, I was more skeptical about are they going to, more so defensively than offensively, like offensively they'll be okay. I do think the main problem with them offensively is like, yeah, you have three awesome shot creators, but you know, all three of these guys love to operate in the mid-range and love to create offense for themselves. So while the offense is very good, I don't know if it'll quite be explosive. That's kind of what we saw against the Nuggets last year. Like, in the playoffs is you know when katie and booker are on one their offense is very very good it's a high level but i don't know if it quite reaches that like pinnacle top tier you know like peak warriors offense right no just due to the nature of they don't quite have that same level of playmaking and you know shot generation for others i think they sleepwalk into a top 10 offense but 
it will be a struggle to turn that into a top five offense is, is how I yeah. feel with Phoenix. I do think people sleep a little bit on Bradley Beal's driving ability. Again, we haven't seen Bradley Beal play real meaningful basketball a whole lot. And again, just like, it's been even, a while, yeah. yeah, I mean, even like the Wizards were never that bad or were rarely that bad, but I feel like they're also one of the least watched teams in the NBA. Like if you, mm-hmm. for anyone who watches all kind, like any, any like super fan out there that is watching more than just their team if they made the list of teams they watch regularly i would don't think the wizards are going to be on very many lists maybe i'm speaking like from my biased personal perspective like the wizards have been maybe in 30th place on teams that i'm intrigued to watch so i kind of see i've only seen them by accident a couple years so i don't want to go too deep i'm like i'm kind of actually excited to see bradley beal again like oh i'll be watching you somewhat regularly for the first time in, in in a little bit. So let's see if you still got that. But the driving numbers are good. And I think that's going to be really important for them as someone who actually is going to put the ball on the floor and attack and kind of start things off for them. But it's definitely a team that lacks high-end passing. It's definitely the bigger concern for me is that like Vogel has like really impressed with his ability to construct defenses without, without great wing defense. He's like, give me a couple of solid point of attack guys and some size. And I will Mm -hmm. crush, I will crush our opponents, but this team has neither of those things. So it'll be very fast. Not a lot of size defensively. They have wing defenders. (laughs) Ironically, that's kind of what, you know, Kevin Durant's, I would say fairly handily their best defensive player, as long as he can stay healthy. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Is yeah, is he? What who else is on? Well, maybe you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm underrating Josh Kogi a little bit. Oh, Josh Kogi is better than I mean, he's a better point of attack defender, and I think he'll. Yeah. Probably, I think Vogel that will be Vogel's guy. Like he. So loves. they have two, like at least two high end defenders. Aiton, it kind of depends a little bit. Like Aiton's solid when he's in position and and engaged, but I, he tends to float a little bit on defense and. Not always be I don't think that Durant looked good at all in the playoffs on defense. I like I know he's been good in his career and he was good last year before his injury, but he so often against Denver looked just like he looked like an old creaky man. Like just he'd get physical with like Aaron Gordon. All of a sudden he just he just kind of like toppling over like this tall, skinny statue. And obviously uh-huh. Gordon's a tough matchup for him, but it still was like, you know, Boston was able to really just like, oh, we're like the year before was like we're so much quicker than you. We can beat you to spots. Like, yeah. So he was, I guess, I guess we'll see if we get a fully healthy season out of Kevin Durant and maybe that's asking too much, um, yeah. you know, but if Kevin Durant plays like 65 games and is coming into the playoffs, not off of an, not coming off of an injury, yeah. I suspect we might see a slightly better defensive version of Kevin Durant. But I, I guess the one thing I'll say in summary about the Suns off season is I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I'm not bullish on it because I don't know for sure if the moves that they made to fill out the roster are going to give them enough to have like a really solid eight to nine man rotation in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, they gave themselves a chance at one, whereas prior, like totally. right, immediately following the Bradley Beal trade, I wasn't sure if they would get there. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I think they've given themselves a chance at a playoff rotation. We'll see if it happens. I feel, you know, I feel like, They've got a good three out of three out of five chance or a 50, 50 chance. I don't know. So yeah. something like that. I like the moves. They might pop. They, no one should be that surprised though. If just like all of these guys look extremely unexceptional and, and Phoenix 
by the time the playoff comes around and Phoenix feels like a, a team that runs three or four deep and everyone scapegoats DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. Let's jump over to another team that put a lot of focus on adding depth, but this team skipped the, the star chasing, which we mentioned earlier, and that is the LA Lakers. Just to kind of quickly summarize their moves, re-signed Austin Reeves, brought in Gabe Vincent, lost Dennis Schroeder, brought in Torian Prince, Cam Reddish, re-signed Rui Hachimura, drafted Jalen Huchifino and Maxwell Lewis, and also signed Jackson Hayes. What are some initial LA thoughts for you? Yeah, I think overall pretty positive. You know, getting Austin Reeves re-signed was probably their main priority of the offseason. But I really liked the Tarian Prince pickup as well. I think that was one of the smarter moves that they made. Just like a solid minutes eater guy who I think is not spectacular in any way on either side of the ball, but, you know, can spot up and is big enough and physical enough to provide you a little bit defensively. Yeah, I guess I watched a lot of Torian Prince this past year in Minnesota, yeah. and and while like he does, I think if he's your starting small forward, you haven't addressed your positional needs. But like, there were times where we were really reliant on him to unlock line he unlock lineups. Like to me, he like that's his main value is like he's a total totally competent defender and a totally proven shooter. And when you have that guy you can build all kinds of bench lineups or even like, you know, he can start for you in a pinch where you have a lot of your bases covered and you can play other players that have different strengths and weaknesses because Torian Prince is, is sort of checking some extra boxes for you. So I was not happy to lose him. Not happy. Yeah. The Lakers are always signing players that I like. They're always signing the, former Timberwolves. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I'm okay with that when I don't like the former Timberwolves, but I, I'm actually pretty jazzed <laughs> about their signing of Cam Reddish. I think Cam Reddish could be really good for them as kind of a low minutes, you know, suppress his role a little bit because he's a really excellent shooter off of the catch. And he's actually a pretty excellent defender as well when he's locked in. Cam Reddish I, constantly gets into trouble when he tries to create with the ball in his hands. And unfortunately yeah. he's been on so many teams that, let him kind of it. give him the liberty to do that. <laughs> but I think when he's on a team that's, you know, ev- everyone's role is clearly delineated and he's not a guy who's just taking the ball off the dribble and, and getting lost in traffic and trying to do his like little floaters and stuff that he loves mm. to do. But, you know, excellent spot up guy, really good defender with great length and size for his position. I push back a little bit on calling him an excellent defender. I think he's, I think again, like his point of attack work is good because he's got quick feet and he's really long. He just has yeah. a great body for playing defense, but I still think he's a dummy. Like, I, like but that's what you need on this team with Anthony Davis. Yeah. It's a kind true. of defender that's, you know, you're, I'm not saying you're going to rely on him for a lot, but I just think if that's your eighth man in a playoff series, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that being your eighth man. I think he still has a lot to prove before I'd even be excited about him as an eight man, but I see, I definitely see the tools there and can see how he can get there. And if, if they can, if he's, if he is playing the role that you describe and that's like all he does, I think that he can definitely, I, I, I agree with you. I just like, I, I, he's someone who definitely needs to prove it over mm-hmm. a full season of like, this is what I bring to this team and I'm going to bring it at the highest level I can rather than yeah. like still acting like, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to become a star. Yeah. Which well, is I mean, what it felt like. 
I feel like guys break out of that mold eventually, and it takes some guys longer than others. But yeah, if you're going, if it's going to happen, kind of burning out with a couple of, well, three teams already, because it's been the Hawks, Knicks, and Blazers, (laughs) and getting to a team where like there's a clear hierarchy with the stars and there's a clear goal with, you know, the Lakers are our championship contenders, even if they're not at the very top of that list. But what happens when LeBron and Anthony Davis are sitting out 20 games and the Lakers are looking for people to absorb some shot creation? I think we get right back into the Cam Reddish self-created floater fest. That's my I guess we'll, we'll see. That's, that's really up to Darvin Ham to kind of rein yeah. it in. I think it's cool that the Lakers didn't chase stars. It's cool that they focused on adding depth and acknowledge that, hey, this team is really functional. Mm-hmm. let's like let's keep that going like let's make another run with this team and this option is way better than any you know bringing in a big talent or a big name like i like this path for them i do think they're getting a little bit over celebrated for adding depth considering like they were already probably the deepest team in the playoffs last year like depth wasn't really their problem as they went up against good high-end teams they were consistently able to throw out different kinds of lineups and try out different things but i really don't think depth is the problem with the lakers i think people are still acting like people are overreacting to the name lebron james and this team at the very top has a problem generating scoring pressure like i don't think like lebron's still really good and anthony davis is really good but this current version of lebron and most versions of Anthony Davis don't put high-end elite scoring pressure on opponents' defenses. So we see yep. them having to get really creative to just kind of to outscore the other team. And if they can't lock down the other team, like they were able to really take away a lot of what Golden State did in the playoffs. But they also benefited from Clay Thompson missing an insane amount of wide-open three-pointers. Like how often did a Warriors possession end in Crowding Steph Curry, swing, swing. Wow, Clay Thompson wide open on the wing, brick. Like that was shooting luck that the Lakers got, I think, a little bit too much credit for. That series, I think, would have been a little bit more competitive had Clay shot more. And people want to be like Clay's washed. And yes, he is, but Clay is still the probably the very best like open three-point shooter in the NBA like by the numbers at least he was last year like yeah. on open catch and shoot attempts like clay is still as elite as it gets so for that to well, be kind some, of a zero something was, was something was physic it, it just appeared to me from watching those games where clay thompson was missing everything something looked physically wrong with him and i don't know whether it was injury or fatigue or what it was but you know well, or he definitely didn't tearing his ACL and yeah, I mean, his Achilles back to back and never being shot, the same player again. His shot release just didn't look normal to me when yeah. we were watching that series. It just it looked like his body language off of every single three was just like desperately hoping it would go in rather than yeah. confidently stroking it. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was a long series with the Kings. Maybe that was just too much for <laughs> Clay yeah. Thompson and at his current age and, and physical ability to push through that one. It's true. I've got I've got one signing by them that I sneakily really like, and one signing by them that everyone's excited about that I'm less excited about. Okay, go for it. Um, so the one I think could be sneaky interesting is Jackson Hayes. Um, mm. Okay, that that was. 
like that was actually the depth piece that they were missing in the playoffs, like an ability to put yeah. out a two big lineup and, big. and crowd Denver with size. They just, they were going Anthony Davis and like a six foot eight, you know, big wing. And that just wasn't an, and you can't guard Jokic one-on-one regardless, but having a whole lot more size in the paint is, is going to reduce his scoring efficiency a little bit. And they just couldn't do that. So they just didn't have, they, they, they really want Lakers fans really are, you know, still want to want a trophy or something for Rui Hachimura and LeBron James's work on Nikola Jokic. I'm just like, it didn't work and you got swept. Like I'm sure it looked cool on some possessions, but it clearly did not throw Denver off their game in any kind of meaningful way. So then being able to do that, I think he's a player that has occasionally shown the ability to shoot and occasionally been really useful as a, as a rim diver. So he can Mm -hmm. give them a bit of like, there's also like a world where Jackson Hayes is completely unexceptional and like barely cracks the rotation. But if Jackson Hayes pops this year, I think that could be, that's one of the only things that I think would change them fundamentally from last year. Well, I do think he's going to have to play because having Rui Hachimura play the five when Anthony Davis sits, I don't think is very sustainable. Yeah. They got Jared Vanderbilt too, who can play some five for them. That's true. And um, Colin Castleton. Tell me about Colin Castleton. <laughs> the Lakers fans are very excited about Colin Castleton. He was a five-year senior, senior out of Florida, seven-footer okay. who's kind of mobile, has some around the rim skills, but he's super skinny. So I don't, I don't really know if he's physically ready. Yes. Well, when Lakers fans were were raving about Hillbilly Kobe a few years ago, and I didn't know who Austin Reeves was, I was like rolling my eyes at that. But yeah. then I saw the guy play and was like, oh. Yeah, that's a baller. That is a that's a that's a hooper, as as casuals like to say. Guys, just I think I think Austin Reeves is really big for the Lakers this year because they are going to need, like you said, someone who can create pressure on on the defense and has the playmaking skills to get others involved as well. Austin Reeves is kind of the guy who's going to do that if it's not LeBron, because honestly, I don't really have a whole lot of faith in D'Angelo Russell's ability to do that, and I don't think that's really Gabe Vincent's game either. So. Yeah. Who is it if not Austin Reeves? Like Austin Reeves was good in the playoffs last year, but he's going to need to keep keep that up and probably take another half step forward. He does definitely he he gives you some scoring pressure. And I think the what the Lakers have is like three or four guys that can give you some scoring pressure. Mm-hmm. They don't have a single guy like and Le, like what we saw with LeBron and I mean Lakers fans are going to be like he was injured last year, he's going to bounce back. Maybe that's true. Just don't count on thirty-eight-year-olds to bounce back. Like he just gets injured every year at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's and that, and it's he's still good. He's still he's still so good and could definitely contribute to another deep playoff run if things go well. But he's not. Lakers fans kept acting like he was going to turn it on. That he that he was saving something. I'm just like this is this is who he is. And then they, because, because Wiggins got hurt in that game, in that final game against Golden State, people wanted to be like, look, see, he can do it. I'm just like, yeah, Wiggins had like a displaced rib and could not take any contact. And LeBron just posted him up on every possession. Like, yeah, that, like that was a, like, yes. And LeBron could still attack a matchup if he gets a, if he gets a matchup. But if you have someone to put on LeBron, he's just, he's going to score his points in pretty tough ways not ways that like suck in the defense and damage them i've probably given this take too many times the the signing that i'm less excited about is gabe vincent not that i think that it's a bad signing i think it's good but i think people who just watched gabe vincent 
in the last playoffs think that Gabe Vincent can shoot because he shot well in the playoffs. And I think that's a potential for a very rude awakening and and the, the way Lakers fans love to turn on their offseason additions that they don't actually know that much about. It might be rough when they discover that Gabe Vincent is more like a 35% three-point shooter than a 40% three-point shooter. Like he's fine, but he's if people think he's like a 3 and D specialist, I think that's going to not go so well without some out-of-nowhere shooting luck. Yeah, I was a bit down on the Gabe Vincent signing too. I mean, he's okay, but yeah, he doesn't really put pressure on the rim. And he kind of like just makes a lot of like smart, heady plays, Mm -hmm. um, but he has very limited athletic upside. So, you know, how much you really need like good spacing around a guy like that in order for him to be all that impactful. And I still have questions about the Lakers spacing, even with the addition of, of Cam Reddish. Even even with Cam Reddish. Max Christie might be ready for a bigger role. Um, yep. Something worth monitoring. He's That's another true. guy that, you know, some Lakers media have been really high off. I just haven't, you know, seen it yet. And so, but he, you know, he's been balling out in the summer league. So he's definitely another potential rotation piece. Yeah. Maxwell Lewis, I think is a solid draft pick. Probably not going to be ready this year, but. You hated Maxwell Lewis. When you're in the mid second round. I mean, I hated Maxwell Lewis being drafted like in the early 20s, but yeah, as a second round pick, that's totally fine. He's Um, a bit of a Cam Reddish in that he's like, he does, he kind of flashes some big. He can't do anything with the ball in his hands, but you know, just ask him to do the things he's good at. And I think he could be solid. But he's also, I mean, he's a really young guy with some really interesting self creation and athletic tools that might amount to nothing in the NBA. But like for me, like the basketball IQ was a bit of a red flag with, with Maxwell Lewis from the tape that I saw, but with young players that can be really hard to project. Some guys just get to the NBA and they learn and Mm -hmm. they find their role. That could totally be Maxwell Lewis. It's just a hard thing to project. Yeah. Okay. So let's bounce around a few teams Mm -hmm. uh, slash things that happened in this off season that stood out to us. And then after that, we'll get into, you know, kind of our favorite teams and some teams that we still have questions surrounding their off season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so one team, I don't think either of us had this like in our winners and losers category, but the Celtics shook things up a little bit, Yeah, maybe in a major way. <laughs> they got definitely a long, big shakeup. Their longest like, tenured Celtic and Marcus Smart and added Kristaps Porzingis in return. Yeah. The Marcus Smart era is over and it feels too soon that that has been like, this has been the Marcus Smart era of the Celtics. I'll, I'll do respect to, you know, players that are better than him, like Jason Tatum. And, but he's, he's been the guy, he's been the sort of like, he's been the mainstay, the culture setter. Yeah. So it feels crazy that they, they traded him. And also just for a lot of like fit reasons, like Marcus Smart was the best passer on a team that sucks at passing. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a rough thing to lose, but I don't know it it, for players like this, where they're not like hall of famers and they're not like all stars and they're probably like, but they stay with this team and there's for a long time and they're so meaningful. It just feels sad when they're gone because a lot of their meaning came from the importance to that franchise. And he's going to be awesome in Memphis, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's irrelevant now, but he just kind of felt like, Oh, you're like, you're going to retire your Jersey in Boston someday. And now that becomes a little bit more questionable. And so I'm sad that just to see like, you know, an ident a team identity get drained a little bit there, but for basketball fit reasons, I think it's at the very least interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, Kristaps Porzingis had a really good season with the Wizards last year. Some of his scoring 
efficiency numbers were maybe a little bit unsustainable, but he did recover a little bit of his foot speed that he mm-hmm. that had begun to atrophy when he was with the Mavericks due to all the injuries. But he returned to being a solid rib protector with Washington last year. Really good three-point shooter, and he became much more effective as a wizard inside the arc than he ever was in the Mavericks. So whether that's a one-season blip or whether that's genuine improvement or maybe that's just like a stretch of being healthy and and not rehabbing, I don't know. But I think this has the potential to be great for the Celtics. But I guess the two things I worry about the Celtics, or maybe there's three things I worry about the Celtics with this trade, is A, you now have three centers on the roster who are like three out of your top six players and all three have some degree of injury concern mm-hmm. uh, slash maybe age concern with Horford and yeah, you know, the second is fit you know like maybe Kristaps can play the four but maybe not it probably depends on the matchup and who you're playing against he certainly can't really guard people on the perimeter so you're going to have to be pretty effective at like funneling people towards Robert Williams weak side rim protection or something if Kristaps Przingis is sharing the court with him or Al Horford. I think when you have multiple, like I think something that's kind of been a proven concept in the NBA over the past five years is like, if you have a big man who's vulnerable to blow buys on the perimeter, it doesn't matter that much when you have a second big guy behind him. Like if, if if you can, if you can take Rudy Gobert out of the paint and behind Rudy Gobert is is Bojan Bogdanovic. Another Rudy Gobert. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Or I'd be like, if 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 there's no rim protection except for this one player, pulling out of the paint and blowing by him is a beautiful strategy. There is no yeah. point in doing that if there's a second rim protector back, or you don't gain enough of an advantage. And the big guy just get like once you drive by him, he gets to go back into the in the paint. So you get this. You're just getting. It, like they can recover and sometimes pick up the 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 man that the helper was covering. So yeah. I think that I can, if Al Horford doesn't lose a step, which he totally could, he, he, he'd be in his right to lose a step. But I see Al Horford, Chris Dapps, Porzingis lineups being viable. I see Rob Williams, Al Horford. I see Rob Williams, Chris Dapps, Porzingis. I think the fact that both Horford and and Porzingis can shoot makes a big difference. I think they can all protect the rim makes a big difference, and I think that two of them have a, have some okay perimeter mobility. Could shrink down to one if it's if it's just Robert Williams. But I I'm not concerned about the front court fit in terms of that aspect of it. I think this really gives them an option to go big when they need to. Maybe they could have like squished Miami with a little bit more size. But what what I see like they've they've added shooting and rim protection in this trade because he's. Kristaps Porzingis is a better shooter and a better rim protector than Marcus Smart, but they've drained their passing. <laughs> he's, he's only one an entire 12 inches taller. Yeah. <laughs> they've drained their passing. They've lost some switchability. Yeah. Those things I can see as maybe equal. I'm really worried about the passing considering how bad Boston is at it. But my question is, this trade will, or not my statement, I'll say, this trade will work out if Kristaps Porzingis increases the amount of rim pressure they're able to get depending on how they use them. If you can get, if, if, if teams are afraid of Porzingis scoring at the rim, that is a massive boost for mm-hmm. Boston who just doesn't really threaten the rim outside of Jason Tatum, who is like good, but not great at that. Jason yeah. Tatum, when he's going to the rim, Boston's on and like, and getting buckets there, Boston's unguardable, but when he's not their their offense gets bogged down. It's pretty normal. So Porzingis isn't amazing at this, but he's like seven foot two and does have some roll rolling gravity. 
if it ends up being Porzingis hanging out in the high post taking turnarounds, like I, this trade feels like, eh, like I'm not that excited about it. But... I think I think this this Celtics team has the potential to be kind of Suns East in the sense that like their offense will probably be very good just because they have Jalen Brown, they have Tatum, they have Derek White who are all fairly yeah. effective at like creating offense for themselves at a reasonable rate. Brogdon, if he's healthy. They're they're okay. I mean, Tatum's becoming okay at the drive and kick game. He's definitely not an elite playmaker yet, but if the defense like really commits to him, he'll, he'll pass it out to an open guy. So, you know, their offense is going to be very, very good, but without a true person who can collapse the defense consistently every time and make perfect reads, it's probably not going to be elite. But... Unlike Phoenix, I think that Boston has much higher defensive upside. Yeah, yeah. And they'd rather be Phoenix East than Clippers East, I think. So this this could be yeah. a big promotion for them. Yeah, I think Boston um, has like, you know, top 10 offense, top 5 defense potential. Yeah. Uh, if everything breaks out right and people are able to stay healthy. Yeah. We really need to wait and see what's going to happen with Jalen Brown. He is eligible for a, for a super max extension and not a whole lot of words on how those negotiations are going. If they sign him to oh, the super max... Which means yeah, the Celtics have not been willing to just print out the contract for the full value and hand it to him and ask him to sign it. There's there's more to it than that. I guess it just depends on how much the Celtics are asking Jalen Brown to concede and how he feels about that with with how these negotiations will go forward. I mean, Celtics just have to be careful. Like, I, I agree, you probably don't want to be paying Jalen Brown the full value of the supermax with no like contract incentives built in there but at the same time like you also don't want to lose him for nothing or for poor value in return i mean we could very quickly pivot when you're this close to winning a championship with this roster yeah we could very quickly pivot into the into the era of the celtics where jalen brown has refused to accept less than the supermax and they are hitting the trade market really aggressively i could see that as well so but yeah, nothing, no, no real news, news there. It's a win for the Celtics if they get them for less than the supermax, and feels not like a huge win if they get them for the supermax. But again, losing him for nothing would also be the worst possible scenario. So, but I, I think everything's still on the table with, with Jalen Brown. What other teams have been interesting to you? Well, I was going to say that the, it's not just the end of the Marcus Smart era. But it's the end of the Grant Williams era, too. So That's we can true. pivot yeah. over and we can talk about Dallas, his new team. And we can start off by talking about that specifically. And that I think that he is a really great fit there, just in that he's he's filling a big need. They just like they lost Dorian Finney Smith. They had no good defenders at all. And he's at least a good matchup defender. Um, yeah. And they need as many of those as possible. He's a good fit next to Luca. He's a, actually a very good shooter. Like people just kind of want to write off the fact that Grant Williams has as long as we're getting been... 2022 Grant Williams and not 2023 Grant Williams. And and I think there was a, wasn't there like a wrist injury or something that went into Yeah. That? He got surgery on it immediately after they, they got eliminated from the playoffs. So, okay. Yeah. I so... think that's really all the mystery of Grant Williams was this year and why he was getting benched was just that like he had an, he had an injury on his shooting busted. hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty understandable, you know, why you stop shooting and stop being so dependable and, you're not as high on his defense as, as some are, and, and I mostly agree with you. I think his defensive contributions are limited to like being able to guard up. He's like what Jay Crowder was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, immensely strong, can't back him down, but doesn't have great size and 
is has good but not great mobility. So he's not like switching on the guards and swallowing them up. He's switching on the guards and surviving kind of thing. But I think it's a good fit with Luca. He's around like he's kind of a similar size to Luca. So a, a lot of like switches there are good. I just think I think it's a really nice fit. And what I think Dallas has done really well is kind of like one of the big themes that I brought up at the beginning is just like, they just had a very responsible off season, like after trading for Kyrie, which is the definition of like the irresponsible big talent swing. They have just added fit pieces and an injection of youth, which is something that has kind of lacked in the Dallas era and something that historically as a franchise, they've always been brutal at just like they never, they, they waste all their draft picks. They never develop young talent. It always comes back to haunt them. So that the fact they were able to get Derek Lively, a theoretically great fitting piece long term next to Luca, a wing, a, a, a defensive wing piece, a, a potential three and D wing piece in Omax, Olivier, Max. What's what, Max, I can't remember the the hyphen his last name. Prosper. Yeah, I didn't know he yeah. was Canadian either. That like I found yeah. that out on draft night. I was like, oh great, <laughs> all these <laughs> French Canadians are really coming into the NBA. They still have Jaden Hardy. And so I like that there's an injection of youth here. I also like that they now have three rim runners on a roster with the best lob passer in the NBA. Yeah, my main worry with that is just I don't know if any of them are going to be all that good defensively. Rashawn Holmes, Derek Lively, and Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell. The immortal (laughs) Dwight Powell. Yeah, Yeah. You know, he's been with the Mavericks for, I think, nine seasons now. Yeah, he's he's like the Nick Collison or Udonis Haslam of, of the Dallas Mavericks. Retire that yeah. jersey. <laughs> yeah. Dwight Powell has such he is like more of like a bad wing defender than he is a defensive big man. Like yeah. he he just he doesn't he doesn't have the length to really play like a center. And he's he's decently mobile on the perimeter, but not really, really good at that. So and Derek Lively is a rookie with immense defensive potential, but who knows what that means in year one. And Rashawn Holmes is is a six foot eight, like drop five so that's yeah but you know they're all an upgrade over or they're all potentially an upgrade over over christian wood on defense so yeah that's true christian wood who's still unsigned pretty late into free agency yeah i think that rishon holmes i mean who knows maybe he won't even like get big rotation moments but i can see a world where like they could spam luca rishon holmes pick and rolls like rishon holmes has an incredible like floater on the short roll and is yep. still like athletic enough that he that he can that he can throw down lobs. So like, and I'm not saying Rashawn Holmes is almost like a specialist at this point, but he is a specialist at the thing that is the most weaponized next to Luca. Like Dwight Powell has got a lot of run out of just being the only role guy on the roster, and now yep. there's other role guys on the roster who I think are at least a little bit better at it than Powell is. And Powell's good at it, but just like I think there's a potential for a slight upgrade in in that. Yeah, I think the Mavericks are going to have to be inventive, kind of a la the Nuggets or the Warriors, where they don't have very good rim protection, but they just need to figure out ways to prevent guys from getting to the rim. Unless Derek Lively pops as a rookie. Unless Derek Lively is good as a rookie, but you know, he, I think he's still 19 years old, and it took he had a learning curve in college too. He wasn't really very good in college until later on in the season, so I don't yeah. expect him to be great out of the gates in the NBA either. Yeah. Another funny thing that Dallas always does is they always bring in they always bring in two guards and one of those guards is always a shooting specialist or just like an aggressive shooter and the other one is always a non-shooting defensive utility guy and they and did they, that yeah 
with the Dante Seth Curry Exum. and Dante Exum. And the defensive utility guy never works out next to Luca. It just never happens. Like it, like yeah. it was Delon right before this. It was Josh Richardson. It was Josh Richardson. It just like they never pop next to. It seems like a great idea in theory, but it hasn't worked out once. Where the aggressive shooter always works out, like yeah. you know whether it's Tim Hardaway or whether anyone who's willing to jack shots has done fine next to Luca. But the the theoretical fit piece of putting some defense and low usage ball handling has just not worked. So I don't. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I root thing- for Dante Exum to have any kind of comeback. So. The thing I'm most excited about, about the Mavericks offseason, I mean, they did make some solid moves kind of around the edges. This was a team that did not have much financial flexibility. They didn't have a lot of draft assets available to trade because they still owe a pick to the Knicks. It's protected, so that locks up a couple years worth of picks. But I'm, I'm just excited about internal improvements, mostly coming from Josh Green which I think is the most exciting prospect they have. Although, you know, Jaden Hardy started to come on at the end of the year last year as well. But, you know, Josh Green is just like a huge guard slash perfectly adequately sized wing. His shot really improved a ton last year, and he started to do some stuff with the ball in his hands. I mean, he was basically like running the second unit when Luca was hurt at for stretches last year and doing a really good job. Uh, He's just got like kind of like this really bursty, twitchy athleticism. Which, when his hand, if his handle can continue to prove and come along, he can become the guy alongside Luca and Kyrie who can really pressure the rim. And not obviously with his, you know, size and switchability, that's exciting for his defensive potential as well. But I mean, I'm, I'm hoping he makes it into the starting lineup this year. Jason Kidd was really hesitant to start him even last year when he started playing really well, and you know, he kind of cut his minutes, you know, during that stretch where the Mavericks were still trying to compete for a playoff spot. But I just a think brief that stretch. I just think like, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. is is fine, but I'm not really that excited if he's your, you know, starting backcourt mate alongside Luca and Kyrie. Yeah, I think that it's just it's really all about defense with this team. We got like Luca and Kyrie played together for just over 400 minutes and had an offensive rating of 121. The offense is going to be dynamite no matter what. There's just way too much yeah. self-creation with shooting on this team, they just need to get back to being closer to average on defense. And there are some pieces there to help them do that, but not like it's not a guarantee that they've covered that sort of, sort of thing. So they're going to be better than they were last year though, because last year they just didn't have a single defensive player on the roster basically. So, yeah, I have one final team that I think was interesting and I, I kind of like, but I'm not sure how to feel about necessarily. Yeah. Maybe you can help me out, and then we can get into our winners and losers. But the final team I wanted to talk about that I was really close to making potentially a winner is the Hawks. I really like what the Hawks did this offseason. And people are still on your Deontay Murray kick. Because you're still Deontay Murray. Well, they signed Deontay Murray to a four year, it's only like a $111 million deal. Under $30 million is a bargain for like a really solid starting quality player. I agree. The contract is Dante Murray isn't like a legitimate all-star, you know, like he made an all-star team, but he was like the third entry option replacement or something. Yeah. But he's good. And I really like the, they finally made the move on from John Collins. They shipped him out. He's free. Yeah. They didn't get (laughs) much value in return from him, but they got, they got off that contract and I, I think they opened up room for Jalen Johnson to really shine. Yeah. And I do think Jalen Johnson is going to be this eventually cement himself as a starter in the lineup because I just think he's 
talented enough and skilled enough and you know he's like six nine six ten and switchable so he just he just like has the defensive upside over Sadiq Bay where I think you know Atlanta might have finally found like that missing piece that fifth starter that they they needed because they kind of been cycling through guys for a while wait sorry I missed that I missed the guy you're talking about who's who is this Jalen Johnson Oh, you're really high on Jalen Johnson. Eh? I'm very high on Jalen Johnson. Like we just got to see a tiny little peak of Jalen Johnson in the playoffs this year, but I really liked what I saw. And I really liked what I saw later from him later in the season as well. Yeah. I mean, it, he's, he's been such a hard player to project for people because he was, he's such a blank slate. He's just this kind of like, he's been this like big athletic body and we're like, we're not really sure what you're going to be like we have no idea what the skill set is he played such a brief time in college and kind of showed a weird skill set yeah. like oh there's kind of like surprisingly good passing here but there's not much of a jump shot but maybe he's gonna have a jump shot like no idea what kind of player you're gonna be i don't think he like it was a very talking about a tiny tiny little glimpse like you know nine nine minutes per game in the playoffs is like not a whole lot to go off of but if you're just talking about him looking good on tape yeah i mean buy some real estate on Jalen Johnson Island. I'm sure the prices are still good. Uh, yeah. They drafted Kobe Bufkin, which I don't feel like he's going to get to play much unless there's an injury, which I'm bummed about because I really like Kobe Bufkin, but mm-hmm. uh, still a good, a good ad as a potential like third guard going down, going down the line. Yeah. Um, if Jalen Johnson isn't quite ready this year, he's still super young. I mean, he's 21 and like you said, didn't really play in, High school, sorry, didn't really play in college, didn't really play his rookie year, which was the previous season. So yeah, he, he still is a very inconsistent shooter. So maybe he's not ready, but I think the Sadiq Bay is, you know, totally adequate fill in that spot starter for a couple of years until that point. Yeah. I burned one of my winners in mentioning Dallas earlier, but I realized I've got a better winner than Dallas. So I'm okay. just going to shift those around quietly behind the scenes. Everyone listening at home, just get excited about the about the unveiling of a new good team that we weren't going to talk about. Better better offseason than Dallas, in my opinion. You ready to get into? To oh, I, I have a couple of like tiny little notes, just like you know, one liners about a few more teams. Okay. I really like the the Cleveland added some added some functional shooters. I know that yeah. they're not big exciting signings, but. Like, I remember last time we talked about Cleveland, like, who is that wing that could, like, shoot and play adequate defense? And obviously, we were thinking of bigger starrier names. But I think Max Struess, like, just barely checks those boxes just enough and that he's, like, defensively, he is someone who can survive and he's going to do more than fine, I think, with those two giants behind him. And he's just a really, really good catch-and-shoot player. Not a versatile movement shooter, not a like amazing off the dribble shooter, but like what you need in that system is like catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. And he's one of the better catch and shoot players in the NBA. So I really like that. Oh, yeah. I think, I think Niang is an incredible shooter as well. And a lot more versatile. Obviously he brings big defensive deficiencies, but as a bench piece where you're pairing him with Mobley or Allen in lineups, like I'm like, Oh, that's great. So I just like, you know, I just feel like they added a little bit of like lubricant to their, to the engine over there in Cleveland. So credit for them, you know, doing that in just kind of a reasonable, straightforward way. Yeah. Yeah. Cleveland's off season was solid. Yeah. Not spectacular, Uh, but they should be better equipped to not get completely locked down in the playoffs. I hope so. eh? (laughs) That was so depressing. My other little tiny note team is just Brooklyn, who I feel has kind of like organized themselves better 
for this year. They quietly shipped off all of their shooting specialists, like Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and Seth Curry are all gone. And you're just like, oh, they must be bad at shooting now. It's like, no, they're just the guys left on their roster, like Mikhail, Michael, Mikhail Bridges and, and Cam Johnson are elite shooters who can also do other stuff. So you're not spending the same, like, you know, rotation minutes on specialists. So I, I kind of like that, you know, and they brought Dennis Smith Jr. in who was quietly awesome at perimeter defense last year. Cause what I really need them to do to be interesting this year and stay out of losing a lottery pick is, is be absolutely elite on defense with, with Claxton and Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal and be able to just keep a lockdown defensive unit on the floor at all times. Yeah, Blazers legend, Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's getting legend status all over the place. Now, I've never yeah. been a big Dennis Smith Jr. fan, but he really popped last year as just like a really fierce ball hawk. So I really wish he popped the year that. before, but yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. okay. We well, got we have enough guards. Let's see if we can keep it up. All right, you want to talk about a winner or a loser? You want to go back and forth? Do one one winner, one loser each. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on. I mean, actually, no, let's, 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 let's let's go, let's go negative first and then we'll end on a positive note. Oh, that's, that's look at, look at, look at that. A happy ending. (laughs) All right. Well, I, I wouldn't mind talking about Toronto being bad. Okay. There were also on my list, my three teams that I wasn't thrilled with their off season. Great. Because it it really hurts me because I, I, I definitely was someone telling Raptors fans to relax all season and it just like they just keep taking L's. So, you know, they essentially re sign Jakob Pertle, who they gave yep. up a first round draft pick for. So it was kind of necessary. And and then and and signaled to everyone like we're running it back. We're gonna try this again. We think we're gonna be good next year with sort of a similar formula to how we ended last year. And then Fred Van Vliet left. <laughs> and they immediately replaced him with Dennis Schroeder. And now this team that had so little ball handling and almost no shooting lost their main ball handler and shooter. He was really bad last year. I think oh, like yeah. Fred Van Vliet has to take a big chunk of the blame for what happened to Toronto in just like you're supposed to be kind of everything as, as a shooter for this team. And you just you shot so poorly in all kinds of scenarios. The Raptors were all missing open threes at the beginning of the season, but Fred never stopped missing like he just missed shots all years both coming off screens his like off the dribble heroics that used to save them a lot the year before just completely dried up this year and but you have to think with a shooter that they're likely to bounce back and now the raptors are just awkwardly stuck with like oh once again we got no guards grady dick probably can't solve all our shooting issues on his own I was thinking like Fred Van Vliet bouncing back plus Grady Dick playing in the rotation mm-hmm. plus Gary Trent Jr. maybe having a le- at least a little bit of a bounce back. Toronto might just like have the season they were supposed to have last year. But now it's like now it feels like the sky is falling and that a Siakam trade is coming. Just a critical shortage of ball handling, a critical shortage of shooting. And they're just now stuck being like, oh, are we just going to like stay the course and lose Siakam and OG Ananobi next year? Or are we going to finally start panicking the way that our fans want us to panic? Because Raptors fans have basically been like, panic, please yeah. decide, just just panic, trade all our players for 
whatever is offered. Just take the best offer available. We just need you to to panic and pivot into a Scotty Barnes rebuild, despite having no idea if Scotty Barnes is ever going to be like a good NBA level scorer. Yeah, the Raptors kind of drive me crazy with kind of their hesitance to act. And, you know, I think it can't be understated. Teams do not lose star players for nothing in return anymore. Like it doesn't happen. You know, star yeah. players don't hit free agency anymore at this day and age. And, you know, like Fred Vindley's good enough where despite his his poor efficiency last year, I'd still say I mean, he, he's got a three-year $120 million contract. So yeah, obviously yeah. Fred Vindley's really, really good. He's he's regarded as a star player. And, and losing a, an asset of that level with nothing in return is, I don't know, like maybe mismanagement is the wrong word, but it, it's a very poor like prediction of how things were going to play out, you know? Yeah. We're heading into the off season where there's no significant free agents other than Fred Van Vliet, really. He's kind of like the only guy. And there are a couple of teams that could throw him a big offer. And you're blindsided yeah. by the fact that one of them did that, you know? It's it was a big offer. A little bit better. I mean, it was a big offer, but like, what else is Houston going to do with their cap space? Like they don't even have any contract extensions coming up for the next couple of years. I, I just think like someone offering Fred Van Vliet the whole boatload of money should have been maybe a little bit foreseeable. I think when they were reading the lay of the land around the time that they would have traded Fred Van Vliet, there was a big time James Harden back to the Rockets rumors. I don't think that they like Houston profiled as a major likely Van Vliet landing spot, but yeah, still like they were over, they, they, regardless of what the projections were, they got proved wrong and they were overconfident about their ability to, to re-sign Fred Van Vliet or work out a sign and trade like they did with Lowry. And yeah, the Raptors just keep taking L's. And I really thought that, like I've said it a few times in this podcast, like I thought they just were bad for bad luck reasons, but then they they reacted to it very, very poorly. And now they're actually in a bad situation, which is just all you like hater Raptors fans out there. This doesn't prove you right entirely. Like you were still, the most histrionic fan base in the NBA and you don't get points for that. I've, I was thinking like, I was thinking the other day with the Raps fans in mind, like what if every year, what if this year, let's just do it. We're, you know what? I'm putting it out on this podcast for our millions of listeners. We're doing a competition this year. Every team fan base competes to be the least whiny fan base in the NBA. It's a competition. We're going to give it an award on this podcast at the end of next season. So everyone, I really want you to try your best to be the least whiny fan base in the NBA. And I'm going to call the Spurs for this one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Spurs, you know, I don't feel, I don't, I feel like who else, who else is famously unwhiny? You know what? Timberwolves fans, not whiny. That's true. Um, I feel like I don't don't see the fans whine a whole lot. Yeah. Teams that have just like had it so bad that like, that like, it's just outrageous to, we just want anything to believe in kind of thing. So. Yeah, so so here's the thing with uh, with the Raptors. I I just think they need to make a trade. Like they're in a really bad spot right now. They might have the worst half court offense in the NBA this upcoming season unless they can get a lot of offensive rebounds. And they have three guys for the two forward spots who can't. I mean, it you can put them all on the floor at the same time, but it doesn't really work that well, especially when you don't really have a playmaker. The only thing I want to say about that is that I feel like OG gets grouped in with those two guys too often like i see why like pascal and scotty barnes are both present some logistical fit problems i think you can play og with anyone 
Like, there's just no world in which OG I is mean, not like. You can, but like he's a really good shooter, a really good catch and shoot guy. Um, yeah, like he's the best. Like he's the best perimeter defender in the NBA, best wing defender in the NBA. Like obviously he doesn't solve every single problem on your roster, but I don't think OG should ever be pointed at as like as a difficult fit piece. I just think if you're putting OG and Siakam and Scotty Barnes on the court together, along with Yaka Pertle, that fifth guy in the rotation better be like an absolutely awesome get to the rim guy, or otherwise you're going to have some major offensive struggles. Right. Yeah. I just think that's more about Pertle and Barnes and Siakam. Sure. Like, than it is about OG. I just think like he's the he's one of the least difficult to slot into a lineup pieces that can possibly exist in the in the NBA. I I get it, but also at the same time, I feel like he's the most tradable. And moving off of OG is an easier way to fix your problems than trading Siakam because Siakam right I, now is oh, the guy coming up into all the trade rumors. But big, like I just don't think that Scotty Barnes and Siakam are, are a viable like lineup combo in long term. And I've been worried about that since they drafted him. I'm like, I mean, and I, I was I, I was big on them drafting Scotty Barnes. Like I wanted them to do that back when people wanted to draft Suggs. But like now that they need to build a real team around there, it's like two playmaking forwards who don't really shoot the ball well enough and don't quite yeah. pressure the rim at the level that you would like them to. They're not complementary to each other. Maybe if it was like those two and like elite shooting at every other position, but then OG is not the problem there because maybe OG is not an elite shooter, but he's very good, especially like yeah. late last season. OG was like, I think OG led the league in true shooting possession post all-star break. Okay. Like that guy was just on fire. I guess it's just like, if you're trading Siakam, I'm assuming you trade him over Scotty Barnes. I don't know. Maybe they trade Scotty Barnes, but like, who are you getting in return that solves all your other issues? If you trade one of those guys. Yeah. And I don't, I think, I think is I think it's going to be a, a, challenging trade thing but i just think I, that you can like you can pivot into like feeling like you're building around og and scotty barnes more than you can around siakam who is who's 29 now and do you want to hear my crazy selfish trade idea yeah <laughs> for the raptors and this is yeah. totally coming out of like what i want to happen and maybe not out of what's the most realistic but you know i just see out of any team in the nba the team that most desperately needs a guy who can attack a defense and be both a elite shooter off the catch and off of the dribble as well as just kind of like, you know, make plays for others at a reasonable level is, is the Raptors mm -hmm. just, they desperately need a guard who can do a lot of stuff on offense. This is a Lillard thing, isn't it? No, this uh -oh. is a Tyler hero thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think, so the, the Blazers want the heat to trade Tyler hero for someone else before we're interested in moving Lillard to the heat. And out of all the teams that most desperately need a guy like Tyler Hero, but you I mean, do you the think Raptors the Raptors are going to trade OG Ananobi for Tyler Hero? OG Ananobi is on a one-year deal, and then it's a player option, which he's going. To yeah, decline. but but no one's excited about building with. Them. This is the problem that Heat's fans have. They're just like, this guy's really good. Why does no one want him? It's just like he's paid a lot, and no one can feel they're going anywhere with Tyler Hero. He's like an innings eater. Yeah, like, but the Raptors are determined to be a forty-two and forty team. Well, but they're only trading their assets if they're determined to move in one direction or the other. They're not like, that's like, they're, they're not going to make a trade so they continue to do that. Like, I just think OG yeah. Ananobi is so much more valuable. So you're going to be needing to send 
more value back. And Miami can't facilitate that. They can't send value to both the Raptors and the Blazers. So I just think that like, yes, a team will take Tyler Hero, but a team will not give up a player that's like clearly better than Tyler Hero. And again, like OG Ananobi is the best wing. To- OG Ananobi is like a the kind of piece that pushes a team over the top into 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 like championship favorite status. Right. Tyler Hero is a guy that you're like, like he he just missed their entire run to the to the finals and no one cared. So here's my question with OG Ananobi: If you're planning on retaining him, though, he's on a cheap deal, so you can't extend him for fair value right? Because the extension isn't going to be large enough. So he's going to hit free agency in some capacity. And, you know, if the Raptors are still incredibly mediocre a year from now, and there's a bunch of other teams that are willing to offer OG 30 plus million a year, what's the motivation for him to stay? Bird rights. And role size. Right. So they can sign him. But like, why is OG and Anobis, you know, signing up for that? Because like, the other, I mean, it really depends on who the other bidders are, but like yeah. how, like how teams with cap space to offer a contract that can compete with what Toronto is going to be willing to pay for him that also offer a better situation. OG Ananobi is, is still young. Like I think yeah, they can, yeah, I think they can, I think, I mean, I like Siakam is like my favorite Raptor like of, of all time, but I don't, I, I, I really wanted them to trade Scotty Barnes early when his value was at its highest. I knew that yeah, they were never going fun. to do that, but like, I, I just felt like I really like Scotty Barnes, but I felt like it was, and still feel like it's just kind of complicated to get him. They, they were treating him like a no brainer. Like every Raptors fan was like, this is a blue chip, like no brainer, like, you know, all NBA type guy. And I'm like, he still needs to add like one major thing to his game before he gets there. And there's no guarantee that happens. It could, but when it was like, when he was the piece that needed to go back for like Kevin Durant or, or Dame Lillard, I'm kind of just like, I would have been, I would have been aggressive and sneaky with that. Instead, they've kind of just like projected Scotty Barnes is our future, no matter how good he is. <laughs> like, and I think that could really come back to haunt them kind of thing. But I don't, I don't like OG, unless you're getting back crazy value for him there. I just like, I'm just not doing it for Tyler hero. That's, that's like, that's not even close to what I'd consider a useful deal for the Raptors. They're just like it, the team. Like It feels like from the team. Raptors perspective that they have this mismatched team that doesn't really work in a lot of different ways. And, you know, you're probably heading for another sub 500 season if no moves are made. Yeah. And yet from Masai Ujiri's perspective, Despite the team not being that not that good and clearly needing to make a change, all these players have such incredibly high value that no one can trade for them. Yeah, yeah, it's an awkward fit thing. But I, I just don't think I just there's too many there's been too much talk about the Raptors solving their fit problem by trading their player that doesn't present a fit problem. Like he's just so low on the list of things that yeah. are like the problem there. I guess my question um, is more for value. It's like, okay, the Raptors might see OG Ananobi as someone who's worth awesome role player plus four unprotected first round picks. But if the market for him isn't there, then, I mean, I, I don't know. I can claim my car. Well, worth then the market won't no be there. No willing to pay that. <laughs> is it really? But then, but then who's going to be willing to pay him like a, you know, like max dollars on, on a, on a con, like on a, in free agency. Well, I mean, Jeremy Grant got 32 million a year. I think OG will. Yeah. But he got it with his incumbent team. Yeah. 
Like, again, I just think I like like teams competing against. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe they lose OG for nothing. That's possible. But I wouldn't I wouldn't like panic trade OG for like something that doesn't improve your situation. I guess it's not a panic trade. I just I just see OG as getting a greater return than a Siakam. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Siakam's a better player. He is, but he's on a one year deal and he's older. So, yeah, yeah. He's become pretty underrated, I think, because people get annoyed with Raptor fans overrating him. But like, look at like his. Yeah. I mean, like, think about like, <laughs> like think about what New York would like. New York would have to add draft picks to trade Julius Randle for Pascal Siakam, and Julius Randle made an All NBA team. Like Pascal Siakam yeah. can come in and dramatically change a team's makeup. I think like people also just forget. Last time Pascal Siakam was allowed to be like a finisher off star level pressure. Like he was like an elite efficiency scoring monster. Yeah. Like who also just like played defense across five positions and helped your rebounding, your transition game. Like gets the like Siakam as a people also just like, oh, you're going nowhere with Siakam as your best player. I'm like, they won 50 games with Siakam as their best player two years ago. They were like, they were like a like they, like you have like they were for all people complaining about how bad they were offensively, they were an above average offensive team. Like it's not like people acting like the Raptors won 20 games last year. Maybe I'm overacting a bit by saying they might be the 30th best half court offense. They might be like the 25th best half court offense, but they were, it's not going to be good. They were 11th. Right. Do you like, do you see what I mean? We're like the Raptors hysteria. Like they're they're an awesome transition team and got an insane amount of offensive rebounds. So their problem, their, their biggest problem was crunch time scoring. Like they lost all these close games. That's what I mean. Like when you really have to generate an efficient shot against a set defense, they really struggled to do it. Yeah, and they still, and that's that's a really hard piece to pick up. Hey, but Tyler Hero. <laughs> I mean, Tyler Hero would help with that. It's just yeah, he totally would. That would that would be his actual don't big import. Give up your second best player for him. Exactly. Anyways, that's enough Raptors histrionics. That was the bad team. So you got to give us a good team. Yeah. Okay. We're about to get positive. I'm going to go with the Wizards, Washington Wizards. I really liked what the Wizards did this offseason. You know, some people have commented a bit on like, oh, they didn't get that great value for Przingis or Beal or whatever. I mean, you know, they got a, a bunch of pick swaps and second rounders from Phoenix. I would say that's pretty solid for a guy that has a no trade clause and you can only trade him to one team. <laughs> yeah. You know, getting four pick swaps from a team that certainly has the potential to completely crater over the next few years, considering their three star players are... Well, two of them are aging slash have had major injury concerns and they don't have a ton of depth. So some of those pick swaps are potentially valuable. They added Jordan Poole just kind of on a flyer. Kind of, you know, Chris Paul was a salary match for the Beal trade and then they got Jordan Poole out of him. Like certainly he wasn't great with the Warriors, but you know, you got to hit the salary floor by spending enough money on contracts and they don't really have anyone else to pay. So you might as well, you know, take a flyer on him, see if you can recover some of his value somehow. I feel like you really shifted from you at Washington. I feel great about their off season. And then the actual pitch was like, Hey, it's not that bad. <laughs> no, the reason I feel really good about their off season is Washington's own picks are going to be highly valuable again, because yeah. they're going to be really bad. You know, this is a team that has been picking like ninth, 10th, 11th in the lottery, like just outside that range where you're getting good players. So upgrading the picks from that to like, you know, top five or six picks every year, because they're going to suck. That's yeah. a big difference. I think it's like it's a on on that line of thinking. It's just a massive deal that Washington has finally 
ended a chapter of like of insane mediocrity. Yeah. And like, I don't usually advocate for teams to bottom out. I think it's, I think it's an overrated thing that fans say too much, but Washington has been, like I say, like the, maybe the most boring franchise over the past five years, ever since, yeah, they, you know, like, a lot of times they weren't even like really making the playoffs. Like they snuck in at the, at, as the eighth seed, the season that Westbrook was there and got quickly dispatched by the 76ers, you know, like, like, okay, you're barely making it into the playoffs or missing the playoffs every year. This isn't even like a, you know, a, a tri- typical treadmill team where they're like a lower seed, but they're getting in every year. I mean, I think Wizards fans are like pretty stoked about just like, oh. it, just, it feels like a fresh start. I really like the Przingis deal. You know, okay, I get it. They didn't get fair value for Przingis, but like it wasn't a real asset. Like it was an opt-in and trade, you know? Yeah. Like Porzingis opted into his player option to facilitate you getting Tyus Jones, who's a really solid backup point guard who, yeah. if an injury happens to a contender, he's going to have real value around the trade deadline. So I think that's a solid move. I think it was a bit shocking to people who didn't really understand the value of Washington's assets. Like if you just didn't really get what the contract situations of, of Beal and Porzingis were, it doesn't yeah. sound like, oh, this big name went out and this is what came back. But I think if you had any understanding of the actual circumstances, it was a very understandable return. There's, it's, hard, it's hard to really say anything about Washington now. I don't think like, I don't even really, like what's their, let's take a random guess at their starting lineup. Next year, it's going to be Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole in the backcourt with Kyle Kuzma. And then put Koulibaly in there right away. That's a, that's, that's a really, really hard thing should. to guess. <laughs> and uh, maybe. Gafford. Yeah, probably Daniel Gafford starting. They still have DeLon Wright there. Mm-hmm. They still have Monte. Uh, or no, they traded Monte. Morris. Yeah, no, he's in Detroit. So right. they don't have, their only other big man is Mike Muscala and Denny Avdija is like, you know, like a combo forward, big, like big enough to play power forward, but probably not going to log huge center minutes. So they're going to be bad next year. And that's yeah. good. That's good for idea. you, Washington. <laughs> and I, I do think Jordan Poole could recoup a lot of his value. Yeah. Just being given a ton of offensive freedom. They have, but. they have three veteran guys who are, well, Tyus Jones isn't on a long-term deal. You're going to have to trade him this year if you want to, or extend yeah. him. But you know, they have Kuzma and they have Jordan Poole, two guys that have the potential to kind of have solid value, whether it's this this trade deadline or next year's trade deadline to yeah. get something in return for those guys. Yeah, two, two Jordan guys. Poole probably, probably not this year because it's a, just a lot of money for, you know, a, at, at best a six-man offense-only player. But Yeah. They'll probably, you know, help the Wizards get some extra like Instagram followers and like, you know, more yeah. fashion photo shoots and and whatnot. It's going to be a bit like I do feel a little bit like are we headed back into the like, you know, Gilbert Arenas, like Andre Blotch, JaVale McGee, Nick Young era of the Wizards where just like we're collecting the like the goofs of the NBA and putting them on. But we'll see how they build it up. I don't know. Kuzma has had a hard time getting along with some of these goofy guards. So maybe yeah. he maybe he won't be best friends with Jordan Poole. We'll see. We'll, see. <laughs> well, they're competing for the same kind of like, you know, NBA character status. So that could yeah. that could be contentious. They also got a. Danilo Gallinari, if he has anything, if he can bounce back from his injury to provide some level. Probably a buyout. 
there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's more likely. Corey Kispert's still there. We'll get maybe a better chance to see some of these young guys that haven't worked out, like, you know, Johnny Davis, and mm-hmm. they might get a chance to resuscitate their careers and, you know, avoid the avoid the bust term the avoid being avoid that bust sticker. Yeah. But yeah, and then I don't know. Wizards have, uh, I probably will not watch a lot of Wizards games again this year, but maybe the year after I'm going to start watching Wizards games. We'll see. Yeah. Bilal is kind of like the perfect pick for like a guy who could have crazy high upside, but we're not going to know for a couple of years. Bilal Koulibaly is currently the franchise player on the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Just going to, you know, whether he starts or not, or whether he plays big minutes as a rookie, he is like their asset. There's just such a, the more I've watched tape on him and stuff, there's just like such a range of outcomes. Like obviously he's got great size and athleticism and playing in the lower level of the French league. You know, he was showing the beginning signs of some real on ball creation stuff, but like, does that continue to grow and blossom? Like, I don't know. We've, we've seen so many of these like crazy athlete guys who, show hints but never turn into anything so yeah i don't know well let's i don't know if that washington really functioned as a big dose of positivity from us but regardless let's listen no washington what i'm 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 very happy for washington that they're they're finally like really yeah. rebuilding I, I think that's huge it's a franchise yeah. that needed that so that's yeah. that's the main reason they're winners Cheers to the next chapter of the Washington Wizards. This this last chapter has finally ended, and it was and it was a slog. Yep. So pivoting into a, into a bad team, let's visit or a team that we don't like the offseason of, or I don't like the offseason of, and I think you probably feel the same. I'm going to guess. Let's go to Jordan Poole's old team, the Golden State the Warriors. Warriors. Okay. Yeah. To me, this just feels like the classic group of old guys hanging out at the end of their careers whole like it feels like the, the the way the Boston Celtics were in the mid 2010s when KG and Pierce I guess Allen was already gone at this point and then like there was just kind of like you know Shaquille O'Neal came there for a bit Rasheed Wallace was there for a bit just kind of like old yeah. guys would go there and hang out and they would loom as a as a intimidating playoff opponent because of the collective basketball IQ but they're they're running short on actual they're you know they're getting they're vulnerable to young teams now Steph Curry is still something close to an MVP level player I think in the NBA and wouldn't be surprised if he was again this year but now it's they brought in Chris Paul who looked you know I mean got injured again in the playoffs last year and couldn't defend anyone in the playoffs when he was healthy he got injured and no one really like felt that much worse for Phoenix's chances which isn't a great Yeah, it didn't or... didn't really have much of an impact on <laughs> Phoenix's ability to match up against the Nuggets, I don't think. Yeah. At least that's how it felt. Who knows? Because we didn't get to see it happen. But yeah, it just it, look... the Clippers yeah. and the Warriors, I feel like, are both in the same bucket where they're they're aging, their 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 pieces surrounding their star player aren't aren't really quite good enough to put them into true contender status the previous year. And instead of changing things or shaking the things up, we're, they're just kind of like, well, that didn't work. Let's run it back. You know, I think, <laughs> that, it again. I think for teams like golden state, I think they're looking for ways out. They're like, they're, they're looking at their options. I just think it's actually a really hard thing to do. Like you're looking to build a bridge to the future and golden state was, has been, you know, blowing that trumpet of the next, like, you know, preparing for the next era of Golden State basketball. 
and they but they just haven't been able to do it. I think it's a really hard thing to pivot out of like a dynasty into in, into something yeah. else. So I think they looked at the options for how they would move forward, and then they're just like, okay, I guess like losing Draymond for nothing kind of sucks. And I think that you know trying to rebuild around Jordan Poole and and James Wiseman kind of sucks. So like let's cut our losses on those things. And yeah, run it back for another year. Hope we get lucky as we continue to look for possible bridges to the future. On that Excellent. note, this is like Jonathan Kaminga. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a make or break season for the Warriors and Jonathan Kaminga at the same time. Yeah, I mean he's he is their way out. Like Jonathan Kaminga being good <laughs> is yeah is kind of their way out of the the mess. I mean, like. Currently, the Warriors have seven players in the roster if Chris Paul is healthy, so maybe more like six players that you can rely on on a playoff rotation. And some of these guys aren't super high-end, like Clay Thompson. You know, if his, his legs are gone and he can't make threes by the time the playoffs start, you know. Yeah. You know, and hopefully Wiggins is healthy this year. But they just they don't have, like, a complete team that you feel, like, really good about all the pieces involved, I don't think. Like, they need one of the young guys to step it up, whether it's Moody or Kaminga could be Trace Jackson Davis as well. You know, like he, I think he was a four-year senior yeah. in college, all four years. I, was, college. I mean, really I had him as a, I had him as like a mid first round pick. So I think, yeah, I'm obviously going like late second round is obviously a steal for a guy, yeah. his, his skill set. So good. A great yeah, skill well, set for them too. Like specific, I mean, obviously he can't shoot, which is, which is never a good thing, but in terms of like a, you know, like a, a short roll big or like a, a, with a little bit of rim running gravity, you could post up mismatches and pass the ball. I think like he has a chance to, it would be really cool. And I'd feel better about the warriors. If trace Jackson Davis could count, could uh, make the rotation this year, could crack the yeah. rotation. And, and Brandon Pajemski is also like, a potent, like you know, I like their young guys. I think they all have a chance to be something interesting there, but I don't know. Are we are we going to see like Corey Joseph, Chris Paul backcourts, like just like really solid veteran guys that don't act can't really move. They're more like stabilizers than players that move the needle. I think they yeah. can be really like solid and annoying to play against, but like they just feel like they're really running short on non Curry firepower from anywhere, like. Are we going to see Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson like lineups? Like, yes, and that I, that, that that sounds that, like that, that sounds doesn't rough. that doesn't sound like a good lineup to be running out there. Yeah, and and then they're still so small. Like they looked mm-hmm. so small in the playoffs all the time. Like they were like they had to throw so much at Sacramento. Like they they had to go so hard to. It worked. They like they ruined Demontis Sabonis's life, but it felt like they were putting a lot of resources into doing that. And then the next round, they matched up against a bigger team, and they're just like, "Oh, we're so small." Like Kevon Looney is by far our biggest player, and he's a small center. Draymond Davis should help here. a little bit, but he's also an undersized big. So yeah, yeah, he won't feel undersized in Golden State, though. He's a big man on oh, he's, campus. He's huge. He's probably like yeah. their largest player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, six or, nine two forty five. Yeah. And they brought in Dario Saric as well, who I think is another guy that fits really well, you know, really brings mm. me back to when they had Nemanja Bielitsa there a couple of years ago, like good fit in terms of like a crafty screener. Dario Saric also loves to like murder guards on switches, like just like kind of like turns into DeMontis Sabonis when you like give him the right matchup kind of thing. If he could bounce back from injury, I think he's a good fit there. I think this team is like kind of good. It just doesn't really feel like they definitely did not take a step closer 
to winning a championship again. Yeah, kind of at best, they you know just kind of remained the same from last season, which was a team that wasn't good enough to win the title. So they calcified is how I would describe what they did this year. They're just yeah. like we're the same team, and we've calcified around that identity by bringing in more like old veterans to do the same kind of to play the same style we want to play. Chris Paul is a very weird wild card though, just in terms of like he does not play the style that they like to play, and mm-hmm. the but hopefully you always hope for old players like that to Chris Paul totally has a lot of skills and could find some kind of interesting role to play. I think mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's out of the question that Chris Paul makes an interesting and positive impact there. Let's do a good team again. It's your turn. You get to pick all the good teams and I pick all the bad teams for now. Oh, I love it. Set up at some point. I'm just moving up, moving up my list here. I have the Denver nuggets as my second good team. Cool. I'm not yeah, sure if you I had think... them in the good or the bad category. But... I had them in the bad. Okay. I'll be interested to hear your reasoning. So what did the, like the Nuggets championship roster, what did they lose out of that roster or what did they lose out of that rotation that just won a championship? Well, you know, they lost their sixth and their seventh men. Bruce Bowne, who was admittedly a very solid player, has like a really unique skill set as a guard who just puts like insane rebounding pressure and off ball cutting pressure can guard up, you know, to at least match up against smaller forwards so great defensive versatility, and he became a, a solid-ish three-point shooter this year. When you know previously his his three-point shooting was a little bit up and down. Like that's a very good player. They also lost Jeff Green. Jeff Green was not good last year. He was pretty much a zero in the playoffs. He Mike Malone kept giving him minutes because I guess he was just solid enough defensively to not make terrible mistakes. And sometimes that's good enough to get minutes in a playoff rotation on a team that's not very deep. But they drafted three players that I, I really like all three of their draft picks. I think that's the main reason I think they're a winner this offseason. Who's the third? Jalen Pickett, Julian Strother, and... Hunter Tyson what? out of Clemson. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I, I love, I am in love with all three of their draft picks. Three upperclassmen in college. Jalen Pickett in particular was a five-year senior. He finished his career in Penn State. He started it somewhere else, which I'm... I'm forgetting at the moment, but Jalen Pickett was like all around possession by possession. One of the most productive players in college basketball history, let alone just last season. He's a big guard, really strong, really physical, who has some defensive versatility just due to his strength and smarts. And he, he scores, he's an excellent passer and he gets like a crazy amount of rebounds for a guy of his size, just due to his like positioning and strength. So I'm really high on Jalen Pickett. I think that fills in their their kind of backup guard rotation when Jamal Murray's out of the game. Jamal Julian Strother is an elite catch and shoot three point shooter. He might Gonzaga. have some issues. Yeah, I'm obviously a fan because of Gonzaga. He might have some issues defensively because he's a little bit slight, you know. But positionally, he's smart, and you know he he played in the Gonzaga system for a few years, so he knows how to ball. But he is just kind of like an electric three point shooter who has a little bit of a get into the lane and he's got a flutter game as well. So I think that's a solid potential eighth man option. Hunter Tyson is just like a big forward kind of like six, eight guy. Who's like a 40 plus percent catch and shoot three point shooter. So I like between him and Vlatko Kankar, who knows, but you know, like he, he offers them another option there. Don't forget Zeke Naji. Zeke Naji is, is still around. Yeah. And um, still young. And still young. Maybe he's finally ready to, to step into that backup five spot this year. 
Yeah. But anyway, like I, I just thought the Denver Nuggets, in terms of what they had to work with, right, which was zero picks. They they traded for picks basically, like they just they traded cash for a pick, and then they traded future picks for a couple more picks. So going into the draft with no picks and coming out of it with like, I, I think the Denver Nuggets did a better job drafting than any other team this year in terms of like the the positions in the draft that they had. I think that, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that Denver did make really good decisions with the things that they could actually control. I think it totally sucks to lose Bruce Brown. Like, but we all knew that that was likely. We all knew that they were, that was not a thing that they could control. They had one contract they could offer him. They had like a wink, wink, like situation they could do with him, which is not like very attractive as a player, especially one like Bruce Brown, who's never made any money, never made yeah. any like big money in his NBA career. So that was always vulnerable. But I mean, he, Bruce Brown rules. He was such like for a, a guard coming off the bench there. I, like he was one of the most versatile like impact players in the NBA. Like he was, he was creating off the bounce. He was just like, like, yeah, cutting off Jokic. He had so much chemistry with Jokic just in terms of like a guy that can, he can function as a rim runner sometimes. He, he, he had a big three off the dribble, like against Miami where you're just like, oh my God, who are you? So I'm sad that Bruce Brown is not playing with Nikola Jokic anymore. But again, we all knew that, that was happening. It's pretty clear that Denver has decided that like, look, we've got this maxed out team around our four best players. We need to hit on cheap young pieces. That's like the only way we keep this going. And they yep. wanted to give themselves as many rolls of the dice as they could in their limited position. They did a great job of that. And they now do have this big, fat, you know, roster of the stable of, of young players. And all they need is a few of them to pop. Yeah. I don't hear quite enough Christian Brown mentions. Yeah, one of them is already popping. They have another Brown. Like he was amazing in the playoffs as like yeah. an extremely fierce and versatile point of attack defender. Absolutely swallowed up Jimmy Butler on on several possessions in the finals. I'm just like, what more could you possibly ask defensively from a rookie? And like shot the ball well enough all year. We, I mean, judging his game from Kansas, we know he's got a little bit more in his bag than he's been able to show in that role. So he can just slide right in. And we know that Christian Brown is probably going to be a very good player for them. The internal development from Christian Brown and Michael Porter Jr. is a lot more important than the end of their bench. Because if Michael Porter Jr. can get healthier and get some of his pop back, I don't think people... He was up and down in the playoffs, but we're still talking about one of the most dangerous shooters and finishers in the NBA. Yeah. So just the the idea that he can play... It's all about consistency with him. He just needs to get consistency or... And healthy. Because he lost a lot of his pop last year. Yeah. Like and that that made him less have less cons- made him a less consistencyer type of player, but it's he could just get hurt again, and that's going to really tank Denver's chances to win another championship. Or he could like become the second best player on their team. Like he's 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 still a huge talent, and he could also his yeah. basketball IQ could just grow with experience because he's he's kind of stand out the dumbest player on their team, just like. Basic, whenever he makes a basic read, Denver fans are like, you know, cheering. So, but he did show some flashes of like, oh, like I can, like on a give or go, I can throw the ball to the corner because there's an open guy there after like, interesting. Like you saw him starting to notice things in a very, like in a baby way, but I didn't really get the Reggie Jackson thing though. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that's the one, that's the one head scratcher with Denver's off season. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I guess I maybe have too much confidence in Jalen Pickett. I'm just struggling to see a world in which he's not really good and productive. Yeah. Yeah. And he could really like, yeah. And I mean, he could do some of the things Bruce Brown did. It's just really hard with rookies to project, like, especially later draft picks. Like you can picture the best version of what they are. There's also this like other decent chance that there's like, they're nothing or they don't crack the rotation or the coach doesn't trust them. It's really hard to establish yourself in the NBA. And I never expect like late first round or second round picks to definitely do anything in their first year. But I do agree that they're really good draft picks. I just think if if we accept that Bruce Brown leaving was going to happen, there's nothing Denver yeah. can do yeah. to prevent that, right? So I'm I'm not holding that against Denver. You know, Denver could have offered him like, you know, he maybe you get up to the twenty six million dollar over like the next three years mark with Bruce Brown, and yeah. Indiana offered him that money in one year. Like <laughs> he's going to take that. But I just think like they they took a crappy situation where they didn't have a lot of flexibility and they made like really delicious soup out of scraps. So that's why I'm, I, I agree. I'm yeah, bullish a, on the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, I, I want to give a good team now and stay a little bit topical. And that's the team that Bruce Brown went to, which is the Indiana Pacers. Okay. I'm really excited about Indiana this season. I think Bruce Brown, like what a perfect pairing for Halliburton in the backcourt. Like this team still is lacking in like in big wings, but Bruce Brown, plays like one with a lot of the things that he does and just matches up so like perfectly as an off-ball player next to Halliburton. Halliburton sneakily was maybe the second best passer after Jokic in the league last year. And so putting Bruce Brown next to him, I just feel like those two players go together and perfectly cover up each other's weaknesses. Like everything that that Halliburton is bad at, Bruce Brown is good at. And Bruce Brown's weaknesses are, are like what Halliburton's biggest strengths are. So with that, I'm just like, I'm really hoping that that's their starting backcourt or whatever. He's maybe Buddy Heald is mixed in there. I Like, who really cares? But then on top of that, like, Jairus Walker, have you watched him at all in, in Summer League? Yeah. Like, just looks I like... I was really high on Jairus Walker coming into the draft. Same, same. But, like, he's taken it up to another level where he's just, like, yeah. doing things we just did not see at Houston. Like, he's just like, what Like what are these touch passes he's throwing around? Like, he's out there looking like just like a genius level passer. He's moving even a little bit better. He's he's a little bit more like, he looks a lot more explosive in lots of situations. I had some concerns about some of his movement patterns where he's just out there looking super fluid and fit and spry and playing with a, looks great playing in a more open system. And I'm like, yeah. so we're going to get this incredible defender next to Miles Turner on a team that loves to pass the ball and has multiple plus passers. So you're adding another plus passer to that. He'd been really aggressive shooting the ball from three as well. And it looks like a little, like his form is a little bit tighter than it was in college. And I'm just like, I, I couldn't help but watching Jairus Walker. And I, I, he looked like something in between like Draymond Green and Aaron Gordon, but a better shooter than both and maybe a better passer than both. And I'm just like jaw dropping, imagining that being added to Bruce Brown with the infrastructure, they already have a place with a, with a, with a rim running floor spacing, rim protecting center and the creative mastery of Tyrese Halliburton without even getting into, they have a movement shooter and buddy healed. They've got Benny Matherin in year two off the bench. Like it's just, that's a very exciting team. And I like, I'm going to have them getting into the playoffs this year when we get into projections in podcast episodes down the line. Obi Toppin as well. Yeah. I'm not a big Obi Toppin guy, but 
like when people people I keep seeing people being like, oh, he's going to make an amazing pick and roll partner with with Tyrese Halliburton, and I'm like, are you sure? What about yeah, with TJ sure? McConnell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's more likely. I also don't really actually see him as an incredible pick and roll player. He's just not really strong enough to like fight in the lane. He's a transition guy. Who, like when Obi Toppin is shooting well from three, he's a mm-hmm. wonderful offensive player. Yeah, but the holes in his game are all still there, and I just, I think people watch highlights and think of Obi Toppin as a player that he isn't. Because I'm it's like you're not watching the full games if you're yeah I Toppin. I don't think he'll be starting because. You know, coaches love defense, right? And so I definitely think that Drace Walker is gonna gonna get the start at least by the oh, end yeah. of the season. You know, it, it should be Walker and Turner as their starting front court. I guess, yeah. The one worry I have, like you know, Indiana has so much guard depth. They got wings on wings on wings who are all you know decent. Like, yeah, Heald and and Neesmith and Matherin. One of those guys is gonna be okay. Maybe Ben Shepard is good out of the gate. He's another older college player coming in so yeah i guess the only worry is is kind of like their their backup front court yeah i haven't been overly impressed with isaiah jackson early on in his career and isaiah jordan, jackson and jalen smith and they've got jordan Nora is centers. is just one of those one of those guys i'm not really sure if he has the basketball iq to really play in the nba yeah. deep into their rotation at this point. yeah no i know i just other than other than the backup front court positions that's not like the make or break for a team necessarily. I, I do really like the Pacers as well. Yeah. Who's next? You give a you give a bad team. Okay, I'm going to go with the 76ers of Philadelphia as my. Oh, great! I've got notes on them too, and I've got it as bad as well. So this is your third bad team. Have we gotten all my bad teams? I think so. Yeah, I'm all positive after this. Okay, Philly to me is clearly just aiming for cap space in 2024. Yeah, but for what? Well, potentially Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Jeru Holiday, OG Ananobi, Kristaps Porzingis, Lonzo Ball, Contavious Caldwell, Paul, like all like when you look at the player options, those are the players that Philly's after. I just feel like every um, year we have all these names that could potentially hit free agency and then I agree, none I agree. of them hit free agency. <laughs> I am I have grown so tired of Daryl Morey's all or nothing approach to running a team. Yeah. Like I know, like I know that this kind of thinking took the NBA by storm when Morey was in Houston and Hinky did the process over in Philadelphia, but like I, it's so boring and like you have to, like it has to hit to hit. And when it doesn't, it's just so miserable. And I don't even just think like, he, he just, I don't know if it's something about his like personality where it always like we always imagine Daryl Morey thinks he's playing 40 chess or whatever. Like maybe Daryl Morey's actually like struggling right now and is like, oh, we're in a bad situation. But just honestly, as a fan and a basketball analyst, I find Daryl Morey teams a bit depressing to follow. Like they're always trying to go all in or positioning themselves to go all in. And I get that, but like at, like I enjoy the different steps of building a contender. And Daryl Morey tries to just only go be at one or nine on the fifth or, you know, on this, on this, on this 10 step plan that I'm just making up right now, but it's oh, I thought like, you'd it's, like on the scale of competence. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, I, just like, he has, he's not, never really piloted a rebuild. I don't think so. At least not. In well, he got to, he turned Houston into the Yao T-Mac thing. And yeah. then that fell apart and they right. languished for a bit. And then he brought in James Harden and tried to pair him with 
Dwight Howard, but it's always like star plus star. And I'm just like, put a team that makes sense around Joel Embiid. I think Harden's going to be stuck there because I don't think anyone yep. wants Harden. I don't and... think Daryl's willing to trade him for a non-star, even though the 76ers depth sucks. They have so many holes and trading. Yeah, who's left on their team? <laughs> trading Harden for like three decent Clippers role players probably gives the 76ers the best chance of competing this year, providing that yeah. he is healthy in the playoffs. But Daryl's not going to do that. So, Yeah. They've got, they got <laughs> Daryl Morey got poison pilled, which was very funny. Like that was the, the Paul Reed contract. The Paul Reed contact contract seemed designed to taunt Daryl Morey. <laughs> like it's, it just seemed like it was like a spite contract. It was like, it had, it had really funny language in it. Just like, Oh, this, like this year only becomes guaranteed. If you make the conference finals, sort of like, I dare you to make the conference finals, Daryl Morey. Oh, and yeah. if you do like, you're going to end up paying Paul Reed $23 million the next anyways. Like, it's just like, it was it was pretty funny, but they were they were they were stuck. They let Jalen McDaniels go. I was a little bit surprised by that. Shake Milton's gone. George Niang's gone. They pretty much refused to take on any long term money, which means like oh you're you're aiming for cap space in 2024. But Joel Embiid is 30. You've already you wasted a year of his prime the year before. You wasted another year this year. year. Yeah, it's just like you can't really feel great about that. So, but the players they've signed: Mo Bamba, Patrick Beverly. They brought in draft picks I wasn't particularly excited about. Ricky Council and Terquavion Smith. Ricky Council, oh, those, I don't know. Those were, those were both undrafted guys. Oh, signed. yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, not draft picks, but the rookies. Yeah. Which and Those know, are pretty good if you're, you're right, just you're right. As signing that's like, guys who are left after the draft. Yeah, they, they could definitely, they could, they could pop. And if they, and if they do, there's like, they're both really talented. But I don't know what's what's left in the cupboard here. Like they're just waiting for Tobias Harris, like Tobias Harris and James Harden to expire, and they're going to build a whole new team around Joel Embiid at age thirty-one. So I feel bad for yeah. Nick Nurse signing there, but I don't know why he was in a rush to do that. But yeah, I mean, we're assuming they're extending Tyrese Maxey. I mean, he's restricted right next off season, but it might yeah. be for a whole lot of money, and then you're left with enough calf space, you know. James Harden's his cap, his cap holds off kind of the small. books. Right. That's true. So James Harden's off the books. Tobias Harris is off the books. I mean, you can sign a star player if one is available in free agency. I just, I have yeah. my doubts that A, that's going to happen and B, that they'd be willing to sign in Philadelphia. I think he's looking at that LA Clippers situation and that's where he's hoping to find his, I think Paul George is the target. Okay. You sign Paul George. Paul George is hurt every year in the playoffs i mean yeah there's a core of maxi paul george joel Embiid, and an extremely subpar surrounding cast of role players enough yeah. to compete <laughs> doesn't sound great but this is the path that philly is walking down right now yeah and having things fall apart in the playoffs at least there's no more doc at least they've gotten rid of one of their playoff choke artists and doc rivers now they only have two two left, left <laughs> instead of three yeah <laughs> Yeah, I got nothing else on, on Philly, though. I, I We're in agreement there. I only have good teams left. We'll save one good team that you'll be really excited to talk about for last. So I'm going to bounce over to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, yeah. I love the Thunder's future. I mean, their offseason was, was okay. I guess, like, the most exciting move that they did was, like, you know, they took on Berton's contract to move up two spots in the draft. 
But yeah. I mean, they, they got their guy and, you know, I, like, you know, I wasn't, I was not crazy high on Kaysan Wallace coming into the draft, but his combine measurements were better than we thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, his wingspan is longer. He's a little bit taller. He's a little bit bulkier than it was reported that he was earlier in the year. So he went from yeah. being what we thought or what I thought was a small guard, because that's what we were being told, to being like, you know, a six five guy with a plus wingspan. Yeah. And pretty I think- strong as well. So, like, I, I feel a lot better about that draft pick, and I feel a lot better about, you know, Sam Presti's ability to discover and, and draft talent. So the fact that OKC was so set on getting him yeah. is, is a good indication. Yeah. They also brought in Vasily Hemicic. Yeah. Who Daryl Moore, sorry, that Sam Presti has been like chasing for years trying to get him to sign. They finally convinced him to come over. Yep. Uri League MVP think... from two years ago. Yeah. 29-year-old. So not like, you know, not young, but not quite old yet. Um, yep. It seems like a good, if he was going to make an NBA appearance this was gonna be it they pivoted from patty mills into usman garuba who's an old prospect i like that hasn't really gotten a chance but like really high level defender who you know might find a a home here we'll see we'll see because okc is currently rostering like 20 players (laughs) so yeah that's true not all of these guys are gonna make the team yeah same with their second round pick keontae johnson but there's a lot of good waving can't they signed him to a a two-way so he'll be on the team Okay, cool. Tight high Washington and what's left of Victor Oladipo as well as Davis Burton. So, yeah. OKC can just like they're just, they just are in a situation where they can just do whatever they want. Like they've they've got a they've got a good team now. I expect them to make the playoffs next year if if with relatively good health. And they still, they've, they've managed to keep all that draft capital just like whenever they decide they want to do something with it, they can. Uh, Chet Walker has come back or he's going to, you know, be be back and be playing this year and he looked great. Chet Holmgren, even. Yeah, sorry. What did I say? Chet Walker. What's who's Although, Chet Walker? <laughs> Chet, Chet Walker is Holmgren a... plus Walker Kessler. <laughs> Should Chet be an awesome Walker. player. <laughs> Chet Walker played with Wilt Chamberlain on the Sixers back in the day. <laughs> yeah, they do not have him. Uh, yeah, though. Not, you know, that, that that'd be great. He's an all. They could use a backup big. Yeah, the Chet Walker was like a. He was like a shooting guard, I think, or like a small forward. Okay. Anyways. Chet, Chet Holmgren, sneakily, you know, could be the rookie of the year this year. He looked awesome in, in his one. So, I mean, like, I was really high on Chet. I think I had him number one overall on my big board that year. I think like, if he's able to been able to add a little bit of strength in, in his year off, yeah. that could end up being an okay thing for him. Even though injuries in your rookie season are not a good thing, and especially for a big guy where you're worried about his long-term health, that sucks. But we got a healthy season from him. I think, like... His ability to operate as a finisher, his ability to operate as, as somewhat of a spacer while protecting the rim, just basically fills all the gaps that they had on their roster last year. Yeah, he's got and some. He's got some proto Victor Wembanyama, like skinny guy, elite rim yeah, protection. Totally, and, and like, and then his sneaky, versatile ball handling like is helpful in a pinch. Yeah, like you can't play him like a big because all of a sudden he's just like, oh, I actually love to like. Like you know, crossover into a spin move kind of thing. Like, and I I can do it if if you dare me to. Jalen yeah. Williams is going to be a star next year, mm-hmm. um, and I just think this team is going to be all of a sudden look like sneaky stacked. Yeah, I also think if some of the rumors about Victor Wembanyama load management rookie year are true, I feel pretty good about Chet Holmgren's yeah rookie of the year chances, providing he stays healthy. But yeah, I mean they're just 
they're just stacked with like solid players, you know, or potentially solid players who can pass. Very solid players. Yeah. Like this is this is the best passing team in the NBA, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like they're just like they're just absolutely fully stocked with like elite passing at every position. They're adding case on Wallace and and Michich into that, who are both like both project as very good passing creators. Jalen Williams operated more as a finisher last year, but we saw in college what he could do with the ball in his hands as a creator. Josh yep. Giddy is obviously a savant. Like it's just kind of, and all these guys have like so many of these guys have a lot of rim pressure too. With Shy and Jalen Williams both being able to like bully their way to the rim, being two of the best rim pressuring guys under six foot seven in the NBA currently. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be too fun. So I'm just like all aboard the OKC bandwagon. I am too, but another bandwagon I am all aboard is the Portland Trailblazers bandwagon. And that, and that is my last good team. Mine you know, as the, well. We got excited about the the Blazers, sorry, the Wizards ending their depressing era. The Blazers era, much less depressing, but it still feels good to pivot into it. And for them well, to already have a really good building because place. It feels good because of Scoot Henderson and because of Shadon Sharp, who I am yeah. nearly as high on. I mean, Scoot Henderson has barely played in summer league, but he's looked really good when he's been out there, just highly competent, very decisive with the ball in his hands, very capable passer, obviously incredible attacking the rim. You know, I think all these things are going to be present rookie year. Like, yeah, they're, he did play two years in G League, right? So for a 19-year-old, he's, he's pretty polished as mm-hmm. far as 19-year-olds go because he's already had two years of professional coaching and development. Yeah, I'm really high on him. Obviously, I, I'm also pretty high on our other two draft picks, Chris Murray and Ryan Repair. I just had one scoot note before we moved on. Oh, yeah. One thing I really forgot No, just like one thing I really forgot about him and all the draft analysis and trying to analyze, you know, like a hundred guys at the same time. Like I forgot how big Scoot's hands are. Yeah. Like just watching watching those summer league games and stuff like just I forgot like, oh yeah, this is like a this is like a six two, six nine wingspan guy that can palm the ball and throw Michael Jordan fake passes with it. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I just think like he's gonna he's gonna be awesome. And to get him at three feels extra good. So but yeah, yeah. Shade on I, I, just I will like, say my one my one other thing about Scoot is I'm a little worried with so many people prematurely you know, calling it a huge mistake that Brandon Miller was drafted over Scoot. Like, I hope that's the case. Obviously, I just never want to be bullish on a guy like when his rookie season hasn't even started, no matter how awesome he has looked in the G League or Summer League. 100%, uh, yeah. There's just there's some bad juju jinx potential there. So let's let's stay away <laughs> from that. But yeah, like Shadon's just has, looks a lot more comfortable and, and competent on offense. Like he had a lot of just like crazy – you know, he's so athletic and so twitchy. He can get into the lane at will. So, I mean, the Blazers have a starting backcourt of two guys who can just attack the basket and get around anyone at any point. But the problem with Shadon is he was, you know, like last year, he was very slight, not a lot of core strength, I don't think. So he would get into the lane, but he wouldn't necessarily get all the way to the basket. Like when he did, he was dunking over people. But if there was resistance there, he would kind of try to throw up a, a weird, awkward off-balance floater or like spinning hook shot. Yeah. And a lot of those, you know, those were his roughest offensive possessions last year. So, I mean, it's encouraging seeing him be a little bit more like get all the way to the basket. And I, I hope that translates against, you know, NBA level rim protection as well. Yeah. I think just being able to start off your offense with two guys that have first steps like that is such a 
great starting place. Just like, oh, we're going to start off every possession with a defensive breakdown. Yeah, we have the most like, athletic backcourt in the NBA. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. Yeah. I actually like, I mean, we'll see if there's, you know, how long Jeremy Grant is on the Blazers for, but I kind of like him being there as just sort of like, I feel Jeremy Grant being on the floor, you're puts you pretty close to having like a normal lineup a lot, a lot of the times like Jeremy Grant plus another veteran in a place where you don't have a star young guy. Like if they could get like Jeremy Grant and like a, a center, they could play pretty normal NBA basketball despite their youth. I think so. Yeah. And, and then just also, his ability to operate as a finisher. Um, yeah. It just pairs so well with the young guys. And then also at some point, you know, the Miami heat are going to cave and Damian Lillard is going to be traded there. And that is going to result in, I, I'm just predicting right now at minimum, Three first round picks because the Heat can trade their pick in 2026 if they renounce their protections in 2025 yeah. for the pick they owe to the Thunder. A few seconds, probably a couple swaps, you know, and then whatever the Heat can get, a couple contracts, and then whatever the Heat can get in return for Tyler Hero, or we trade Tyler Hero at some point down yeah. the line. And, and, you know, it's it's probably a player that's somewhat lesser than Tyler Hero, but like that's that's a decent cast of assets, especially because you know Dame and Jimmy Butler are aging. So I don't, I don't think the Heat are gonna necessarily be awesome in twenty twenty eight and twenty thirty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I'm kind of hoping someone comes in with a better offer. I always hate when a team gets to be selected like that and and go into negotiations with this like silly advantage. I don't know. If like... the Heat can get a decent asset back for Tyler Hero, like I'm, I'm okay with it. Like I. I appreciate Damian Lillard enough where as long as the Heat offer isn't garbage, I'm okay taking the bet that the Miami Heat organization eventually isn't awesome, (laughs) you know, over the course of the next six years. And like one of those draft picks is pretty good. Yeah, though the Heat are very good at scrapping too. Like when was the last time the Heat really bottomed out? Like they'll put together some, some janky. Well, the year before they traded for Jimmy Butler. The years preceding that, they had some rough yeah, seasons. but that that took like a Chris Paul developing like a you know medical condition and like, and even then, like how you know how how bad were they? They like their worst season. They had a they season won, where they were like uh, they won thirty nine games in twenty nineteen. Yeah, like kind of. They won thirty seven games in twenty fifteen or the year after okay. LeBron. Also, left. I don't want to be morbid, but Pat Riley is seventy seven years old. Um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> But there's a lot of good, like, you know, how much, I don't know how much it is Pat Riley at, at this point, but right. like, they're, they're yeah. pretty good. I wouldn't feel like amazing about, they just have such a propensity to scrap their way. They don't like, they don't love to bottom out. But it was that year that yep. they like traded. Well, I mean, any team that has traded the draft picks isn't interested in bottoming out as well. So yeah. sometimes it happens. Yeah. They're just, they always seem to come out of nowhere. I'm, 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 I don't, never know why they still have assets. I'm just like, didn't you spend this on this and this on this? And it's like, oh yeah, we got a few more. It's just, they're always cobbling together something. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm just like, yeah. I'm just trying to say like, okay, maybe another team comes over the top and, and presents a ridiculous offer for Damian Lillard. And that's awesome. But like, if they don't, yeah, you know, a couple you young players from the Miami. heat and some picks and swaps, you know, yeah. I, I'm okay with that because it means that we're moving in the direction of, of building around our, our young core, which I'm very excited about. And they want to get off Nurkic's salary too. I think without without 
really any big man on the roster outside of Nurkic. Are we going to get to see two-way contract Ibu Baji playing minutes for the Portland Trailblazers this year? Probably. I mean, I don't think they're going to be very good minutes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he'll I, probably get some he's, time. He's an old draft crush of mine. I just remember seeing like when he was, I don't know, 17 or something, seeing some videos and just being like, oh, wow, that's a, that is a, that is a body that can move very explosively. So wouldn't mind, you know, getting another glimpse of that or whatever. I like all their other young guys too. Like I like Nassir Little. I like Chris Murray, Ryan Rupert. Like there's just, there's lots of players there that I'm excited about. We haven't even mentioned Anthony Simons, who is. Yeah. Ryan Rupert is a guy who's potentially a first round talent that NBA teams really soured on during the offseason when he wasn't even playing basketball. Yeah. Still not sure why, but hey, we'll take him with the 46th pick or whatever. Yeah. Anything else you're excited about for your hometown? Any other big Blazers notes you wanted to get out of the way? Yeah, I just, I hope Jeremy Grant is awesome this year and good mentor to the young guys. And then we ship him off next offseason for some assets. That does sound ideal. (laughs) Yeah. All right, that about wraps up our off-season thoughts midway here. Oh, I had one more bad team. Oh, you had what? Who's bad? Who's still bad? <laughs> do we want do we want to touch on this or do we want to just be done? I'm okay either way. You want to talk about the Bucks, don't you? Yeah. They're, are, they, are they that bad? No, I mean I. <laughs> I'm just like they didn't lose Brook or Middleton, which was yeah, what was true. sort of the scariest. And the, you know what? They also got some young guys in. Let's talk. We can talk. We can do two minutes on the Bucks, and then we're getting out of here. Yeah, I just thought Milwaukee, for the most part, stood pat on a team that, I mean, some people had them as their, you know, Eastern Conference Finals representatives from last year. I think you picked them as that. I think they would win, yeah. I was much lower on the Bucks' chances, and I continue to be after this offseason because they made kind of zero meaningful offseason changes whatsoever from a team I didn't think was good enough to win the title last year. But. Anyway, so. I, I only saw an opportunity for them to get worse, not to get better. Like, you know, they, they had they had their own free agents to take care of, uh, and they had limited ability to do that. They managed, I think, to get Middleton and Brooke back on reasonable value rather than huge overpays, in my opinion. So I thought that was a win. They brought in another shooter in Malik Beasley. Hard to be excited about that. I like Andre Jackson, but I don't see him playing minutes with Giannis. So I don't imagine him being a big deal in his rookie season. I don't really get the point of signing Robin Lopez, considering they like they already tried that, and it helps them get Brooke back. <laughs> Maybe that was it, right? But yeah. I think like it's not like he's going to come in. Like what sucked about when both Lopez's were on the Bucks together was that they just had to play drop coverage for like every minute of the game. But if yeah. he's just going to be there to be like a cool dude, Robin <laughs> Lopez is a very cool dude. So they just yeah. upped their cool dude status. They lost Joe they- Ingles. Maybe it means we'll see more Giannis at center when Brooke is sitting. Oh, they also lost Javon Carter, which I think matters because he was pretty yeah. like effective and useful for them in that role. But hopefully we get more Marjan Beauchamp this next year. Yeah, Javon Carter was like down. one of their only good perimeter defenders outside of Drew last year. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully also Chris Middleton is like healthy and able to do a little bit of that. I hope so. I just think this is a team that has sucked at guarding wings for quite a while and got worse. And they lost one of their two good point of attack defenders that was on the roster from last year. Yeah. But I think Jason Tatum is going to average 50 points per game against this team in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's basically like they, they had PJ Tucker for one year and they won a championship. Yeah. And then they went right back to having that hole, which is why I think like Bochomp and 
and and other young wings they bring on are worth keeping an eye on. Jay Crowder still exists, and they did resign him. So it's I just like I mean the Bucks just I think it was a bit of a fluky situation in which Giannis got injured, mm-hmm. and Miami absolutely was outrageously on fire in a way that you just can't really account for. Yeah, and they don't have the they've got a new coach, so I don't know. I can see why you're like down on on the bucks or just like you just see this kind of like aging team that can't get any better but well i see them as having these major integral weaknesses that are an issue because their main competitor in the eastern conference is awesome at attacking exactly those weaknesses yeah so have the when's the last when's the last the bucks played the celtics in the playoffs two years ago chris middleton got injured and they went to seven games hopefully the bucks can just ha- have some better luck and do things that people thought they're going to do this year. But I, I, I don't disagree with you and you're on their, on their outlook. I'm probably outlook having pessimistic with some of this. I'm things. probably having some just inherent bucks negativity about the roster in general shape, how I look at their offices. You know? Yeah. Internally, maybe they view this roster as, Hey, it would have been good enough if Giannis didn't hurt us back last year. And therefore we don't need to change much. I just don't think they had the ability to change much. Like, I don't know where that roster flexibility was going to come from. When you when you go this far down with a core four players, like you're... Yeah, I mean, Phoenix signed three wings for the veterans minimum, and, and maybe maybe Milwaukee couldn't do that. Maybe there weren't wings out there willing to sign with them, but yeah. you can't get well, one. Well, I mean, there's a there's a promise of minutes in Phoenix, right? Like, I, like yeah. Milwaukee is a pretty... Is a is a deeper, thicker roster with just like you know that Giannis and Chris Middleton are going to play a bunch. You know they're going to play big with Brooke Lopez a lot of the time. I don't know. I just like I, I see why Phoenix was a more exciting option for some of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I suppose if so. they're choosing between minimum opportunities because I think when you're yeah. a wing, you can pick your favorite minimum contract whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, that does it for our, our all of our negativity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, system. Yeah, so we're going to be coming back regularly with just some, you know, projecting teams kind of division by division yep. as we go throughout the offseason. And there's always there's always NBA drama that pops up, so we're always mm-hmm. going to have that to talk about. I don't think there is – I don't follow other sports enough to know this, but are the other leagues, the other major leagues this good at keeping the drama going year-round? Or is the NBA no, like, like an The NFL is that? trying, but – okay. Yeah. They're not quite at the NBA's level. Yeah, we just got the reality TV show thing happening over here in ways that other leagues can't really migrate into. So, yeah, the, the NFL NBA has a couple season. of dramatic guys, but yeah, they don't yeah. have like the league-wide thing yet. Yeah, and yeah, then the, we'll get into international competitions. There's usually interesting things happening this time of the year. WNBA playoffs will roll around, and really, it's just like it's a it's a good time to be alive as a basketball fan. So yeah. And on that note, you know, everyone kindly remember that ball is life. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.